Hello and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wabo's most trim work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to talk about Cutting Class 6.4, 6.5, and in a real twist of fate, a domain text. <laughs> yes, um, I, I, yeah, I was so happy when that one popped up. <laughs> yes, I mean, we kind of all knew it was coming, but it's still nice to get it. Um, before we get into that, though, uh, we should talk about... Uh, we should talk about some bonus content that we've got going on at the moment. Yeah, just wanted to quickly plug, uh, as this episode comes out next week, uh, we've got one of our Doof and Chills coming up, uh, where we will uh, be getting together with all the other Doofers and reading like a, an OC script for an episode that didn't actually happen. That didn't get made, yeah. Yeah. It's like a script that was written by some of the writers uh, but never got made, I think. Yeah, something like that. Oh, I think somebody was pitching to be a writer on the show, so they wrote the script. Yes. Um, anyway, um, so we'll all be playing matter. characters. We'll be doing a table read. It'll be a real fun one. So uh, make sure you are uh, a patron at the $5 or more level and you'll get access to that. Yeah. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. And that'll be uh, on Saturday American time. Um, but uh, anyway, on with the show. Let's dive into Cutting Class 6.4, which is from Lucy's perspective. Um uh, Lucy and the Kenneteers are getting ready for the day and they are continuing to brainstorm the kind of facets of Lucy and her personality that might uh, reflect on a good choice for her implement. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's 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 really just interesting to to watch the three of them like discuss how this might all come together. Mm. Like we'll dive into the Lucy-specific character exploration because like, that's yes. what's so fun about this is it's literally like an excuse to explore the character. Yes, it's it's Verna and every psychoanalyzing Lucy a bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think what's really fun is all three of them seem conscious of keeping that stage balance. Like that's something we've talked about since 1.1 or 1.2, like that idea that, um, you know, if one of them does two or three of the rituals and the other has, others haven't, that might upset the balance between the three. Yes. So they're all being very conscious about that. And it's just... It feels particularly cool to see the three of them working together so well as a team as, like, the rest of the school is fucking falling apart around them. <laughs> yes. Um, you mentioned that balancing act, and I want to kind of quickly touch on that because it's called out by, I think, Verona. Um, yes, it is called out by Verona. Talking about the the Implement Familiar Domain Balancing Act, and th- she kind of calls out that, that would there's nobody that really is a clear choice to get a domain. Um, Hmm. Which I think is interesting. I have some more thoughts on this based on the domain text and some of the things yeah. that it explores. But at this point, uh, when when this and the next chapter came out, I was still very, very confused about if this is going to happen. It just doesn't make sense because who's going to get a domain? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like, part of me was like, I think there's a moment where they also say they haven't read the domain book yet. Yes. Um, so I was sort of like, okay, like, you know, we'll read it and it'll probably make sense. And yeah, well, let's talk about that when we get there as well. But um. Yeah, it's it's a good point that like that's the other side of of this idea of the balancing act is like you all need to kind of want one. Yeah, like, we keep joking about somebody taking Alpi as a familiar, but like again, another potential point of conflict over who will actually get what. Yeah, know? and I'm still not convinced that's a super good idea for anyone. <laughs> yeah, like, like Alpi's great, but like I, you know, I, I don't really understand what Verona thinks she's going to get out of it. Because she's so yeah, it's relationships like it kind of just feels like they're choosing. We have to choose from one of the from one of the others in Kennet, which kind of indicates they've already going about this a bit the wrong way. 
Yeah, or part of me, like, I think Verona's kind of mostly joking when, when she does this stuff as well, but part of me's thinking, like, she's so averse to human relationships given her dad. Like, we've talked that to death. And so it's kind of like she's latching onto the idea of a familiar as an other alternative. Like, yeah. Because it, it's, it's the same thing, but it hasn't been but ruined by context. Yeah, it's more practicey, and therefore she likes it more. Yeah, and she hasn't quite made the link yet. Yeah. Mm. And then, like, Avery, like, talks about it, but I think that's just. I mean, it's just Avery. Like, I don't like. She has Snowdrop. If you're going to get a familiar Avery, I don't know why in the fuck you would not pick Snowdrop. Like, yeah, mm, yeah. We'll see. I guess. Um, so here's another interesting thing that happens during this uh, interaction, which is where Avery's thinking, like reading over her notes and thinking, and she reads over the note about how she doesn't think the fa- the label Fairy Swordfighter that Lucy got in the student guide really fits her, and right after she thinks this. Lucy speaks up and says, you wrote you don't think that this fits, like immediately jumping onto the same thing. Yeah. Which I just felt was weird. Like it's just, it just felt like Lucy, uh, Avery had this thought and Lucy jumped on it, even though obviously it was a thought. So how is that possible? Indicating that potentially they're becoming like uh, sensates, you know, they're, they're, they're partially starting to be able to sense each other's emotions. We had a bit of that subconsciously before we had that question at the start of this story, but um this feels like it's maybe bringing it back up or, or just a weird coincidence. I don't know. I, I thought Avery's thought just meant that it, that was phrasing that meant it was something Avery wrote on the paper. Hmm. Avery's thought. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's just they were reading something out loud from the paper, but it seemed to me like Avery was thinking about something that she had written earlier and Lucy immediately jumped on the same thing. I thought it was Lucy is reading the sheet and this is something Avery's written. So like we're seeing, wait, that's oh. what Lucy is reading oh. on the sheet. And she's like, oh, this was one of Avery's thoughts that she put on the sheet. And then she brings it up. Is that right? Man, I, I don't, that's not the impression I got, but maybe I just misread it. Or maybe there's something more mysterious going on. <laughs> I mean, these three are very coordinated for sure, but there's a bit of strife between them in these two chapters. So I don't know mm. if they're quite at mind reading levels of All right. synchronicity yet. If you want to, if you want to be on the losing side of that bet, <laughs> that's fine, Elliot. I accept this position. <laughs> um, yeah, but look, should we dive into like the exploration of Lucy as a character? Yeah. Um, just because, like, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's so great. I, I my favorite part was when uh, Avery writes down that she has a sense of justice, and then Verona crosses it out and writes injustice. Mm very cheeky well and, but it's so true isn't it like it's yes. at first you're sort of like well that doesn't really make sense but then yeah, like, what does I that thought mean? about it yeah yeah it's like because it's not even like lucy is trying to go and avenge people who did shitty things like that that's what like when i hear someone who's obsessed with justice i'm thinking like the punisher or some bullshit where they go around like trying to yeah like catch up to people whereas like lucy she's more proactive she's not trying to go after people who did shitty things she's trying to go after people who are doing shitty things Mm. Um, and I think this comes back to us a bit when we talk about Charles at the end of the chapter, mm. um, and and sort of where he he sits in in Lucy's head. So we can talk about more there. But I just like uh, like this is just such a clever little part. I was really impressed with how I read that, and I was like, objectively, that's kind of a nonsense distinction, but actually, it means so much, and it's very true. Yeah, I I quite like it too. It's the kind of thing where you read it and you go, what? And then you sit with it for a little bit and it starts to have all this depth that you really like. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the other thing that comes up is uh, 
they bring up that thing Miss said like way back in arc two about how Lucy was this interesting mix of like fairy magic with goblin intent or something. Mm. Um, and then obviously that ties into the whole like fairy swordsman feels in the right direction, but that's not quite it. And yeah, I don't know. All this stuff kind of leads to Lucy just wanting to, to be her, her strongest self. And mm. um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just sort of, now I'm starting to think out like, cause it's like, these all feel like clues as to what we should be thinking <laughs> implement will be, and I'm not able to put them together. I mean, I honestly, I had no idea. And then next chapter we get it, we we find out what Vernon and Avery think it should be, and I'm like, oh shit, that's such a good idea. Uh, we'll get to that. Yeah. See, I yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, as much as you do, but interesting. Okay. My th- <laughs> I'm just reading my notes, and my theory at this point was she can have the scales of justice, but she wields them like nunchucks. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see it, if nothing else. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love the bit as well, because like, Avery does the smart thing here. And Avery's like, hey, you're not doing this because you feel like we have to, right? You you actually mm. want an impulse. Like, please don't just do this because you have to. Which mm. I was like, thank fuck somebody's asking that question. Yeah. Um, and Lucy sort of talks about it, and she, she sort of says like she wants to do the implement specifically because she wants to figure herself out first and then the practice stuff should enhance that um which i really like is you know like if you're focusing on self-improvement like that like getting in a relationship like a familiar doesn't quite feel right mm. um and like the domain is a whole thing we can sort of get to but like i i really like that sort of thinking of like she wants something that helps her enhance herself yeah i like it too it's very it's good and self-aware um one of my favorite things that she expresses is that she thinks she doesn't want a weapon which is something that we kind of I mean, we used to hit that beat a lot more with Lucy at the start of the story that she seemed to be very conflict-focused. And luckily, it seems like that's not the case anymore, and she's kind of taking active steps away from it, which I think is good. Yeah, well, it never felt right either. Like, you know, we used to talk, like, you know, her first real thing with, with weapons after picking the knife for her awakening thing, then, like, the next thing that involved weapons was when John held a gun to her head. Mm-hmm. And and so she was very much on the receiving end and was like really not okay after this. And then yeah, Miss gave her the the ring, which turned things into weapons, which was kind of like oh okay, um, which we thought was Miss intentionally fucking with her. Yeah, yeah. So I I agree. Like it's it, it's felt like something like she will use weapons, but they never felt like her thing. Yes. Um. And and she's kind of calling that out here, which I like. Um, yeah, I agree. Good stuff, Lucy. I think yeah, I I really feel like the fairy goblin thing is the stuff that I'm like. I feel like that's our clue to where she's going to go, and I just can't use it. Like she, I don't know if goblins are like the ugly truth, and fairies are like the wise. Like Lucy's mm. goblinish in the way she cuts through the bullshit. Like she, yeah, she uses the nicety of the fairy stuff to cut through other people's bullshit or something. Like, I, but I don't know what that. Then I don't know what the next step of thinking like that is. I don't know what's something that's both, you know, brutally direct but also kind of fairyish though what 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 item could that be yeah what has like class and and status and works you know is like in sort of for classness but also can just cut through the bullshit when you need it to maybe it's snowdrops four yeah yeah i mean could be not the worst idea um so yeah uh so snowdrop returns from a night of spying on people and fills in the kenneteers on what bristow has been up to so before we get to what Bristow has been up to, um, it comes up a th- as a thing again because Snowdrop kind of is just stealing all of their food again. Yep. And maybe I'm paranoid, 
Yeah. But Snowdrop has suddenly become obsessed with overeating. And I'm just, is this, are the brownies up to something? Is Like what, is this, you know, you think muscle, this is brownie muscle revenge. tinfoil hats, everyone? <laughs> I could see a brownie revenge being them, like giving her some kind of food addiction as a way of fucking with her. I kind of like it. It's pretty brutal, <laughs> but I like it. I don't, it's just like, it's just become such a recurring beat. I'm like, should I be reading into this or is it just a comedy beat? Because it is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, that makes me think it's probably a, a two for one. It's a comedy beat that's also setting up a horrific twist of ironic fate later. I mean, it would, it does kind of feel like a very fairy sort of plot, right? Yeah. Is, Nicolette was like, you have to give her food when she asks. So the brownie's like, fucking okay. We'll make her always ask or whatever. Yeah, yeah we're going to make her go for the food too much. Yeah, I like it. It's pretty grim, so we'll see. <laughs> we could be making a, a mountain out of a molehill here. Yeah, I mean, that's part of what we do here, isn't it? Um, <laughs> there's a line uh, when uh, Lucy's thinking about how they're going to have to hold on to their glamour because they won't get more until they come back home again. And she thinks, which would only be if things got especially disastrous back home. Where is that line? I'm kind of worried that Kennet is already a bit of a disaster zone based on what we <laughs> saw last time we were there. I, I'm i just like, where is the line that things are disastrous enough for them to return home? Because I, if, I, I mean, I would have assumed we'd already crossed it if I didn't know better. Do, do we know better? I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree. I wonder what that line is where the three Kenneteers are like, yeah, we need to go, especially considering... I mean, things aren't good here either. Like, there's definitely an argument to be made where it's like, hey, you know how you could stay neutral? Just get the fuck out. Like, I mean, yeah, just leave is a good way um, to stay neutral. Yeah, like, like their, their current motivation for staying through all this is like, we need to learn stuff to be ready yes. to serve the town and do the karma and stuff. Which, like, yeah, Yes, true, that's but, like, true. Yeah, it's not, I don't know. It's just a mess. How Everywhere much is that is worth? <laughs> how much is that worth in terms of potentially making enemies and causing more Bristow-esque situations, you know? I wonder if they rang up, like, Matthew and Edith and gave them the situation where the Matthew and Edith would be like, shit, maybe you should just come back here and, like, we've got plenty for you to do. Yeah, I mean... And don't get Kenneth more embroiled in this bullshit between Alex and Bristow. Maybe they think that will, that will happen and that's why they're avoiding it, you know? I could see that. Yeah. Um... um Anyway, but uh, yeah, so it's so obviously, yeah, Snowdrop, yeah, she comes back and she's like giving us the 411 on what she saw. And I, I just like, I think we've commented on this before, but I just, it's always so funny that it's like Snowdrop is the person who seems to always be doing this stuff because she's nocturnal and she comes back and gives us like all the information, but she's fucking terrible to be the person to do. Like, it, we always have to decipher what she's seen. And I just always yeah. find that really fun and surprisingly still quite difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's always a bit of, it always is a bit of a huh moment, you yeah. know, where you have to kind of wait and see. Like, who did he hang out with? Everyone except this person. Then you go, oh, so who was it then? Oh, no, wait, that means it was them. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I just find it very fun. And it's, it's a good way of making us really think about what the information we're getting is because we, we, ha- we can't just skim it. Yes. Um, and then also just like, it's just so hilarious to me that the person constantly doing the stakeouts is the person who is kind of the hardest to get the info back out of. <laughs> they send the the weirdest stakeout member to go do the staking out. And actually, while we're on the topic, I do want to call out, like, just from a writing perspective, how cool it is that there's still what I feel like are like innovative and fresh, like snowdrop things. So there's like a bit where Avery says, "Oh, if you do this, I'll give you some of my food." 
and like uh, Snowdrop like spits the word like bah, and I was like, oh, so that's like her excitedly exclaiming like you know yippee, yeah, um, and like you know that's just like a little variation on this. We haven't quite seen like her being angrily exasperated translating <laughs> to like glee, like joy, I think seen it yeah, in, but like yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's not just. It's not just her saying the sentence that she means, but throwing a knot at the start. Yeah, half the exactly. Time. Like, while Bo really puts in the effort to add fresh twists on it, like, pretty regularly. Yeah, it's good. It, it is good. You're right. And it, I think that's it's in service of it makes you always pay attention to try and decipher it, which you mentioned. I think that's a great way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then, yeah, like, I think one of the things Snowdrop tells us is that Seth and Tanner yep. met with bristow so those yes. are the non y and chase and nicolette uh alexander apprentices yes i i think presumably that's at alexander's behest as well which yeah. means they presume he presumably trusts them a fair amount it's too obvious like like if if i've tried to work you off the assumption if snowdrop can see that they're meeting with bristow alexander must know that right so it's like they'd have to have gone there for something alexander's told them to do like, yeah it has to be at alexander's behest it doesn't make sense otherwise i don't think yeah so like, i sort of instantly read this as okay so we know it's not seth or tanner who's our presumed turncoat uh from the <laughs> LNG. yeah so who do you think it is <sighs> i mean chase seems like the obvious suspect by the end of these two chapters yeah and he's just me. such an asshole that you wanted <laughs> to be him as well right i mean any of them but nicolette would be okay with <laughs> they're all dickheads except for her. which probably means it's nicolette it does that mean it's nicolette yeah i mean we'll does get to that, that next chapter with, yeah with shelly yeah get there um yeah so uh yeah the gang leaves for class and they chat to melody who got beat up and cursed last week and her brother corbin uh they explain uh corbin and melody explain something that happened two years ago there was a student who foreswore another and things got tense afterwards um I know it's a uh, minor moment, but I really love this bit where the Kennedys are just confused that there's no gym class at this school. Like, <laughs> do they really misunderstand what kind of school this is? It's not the American education system. They don't have to adhere to the, you know, the the, the syllabus. I mean, yeah, it, it's a real statement on the priorities because this also extends to the school that Melody and Corbin go to when they're not here. Yes. Um, And it's very much like a statement on the priorities of practicing families where it's basically this is their whole life um i also think yeah like i'm i'm familiar enough with harry potter to know that one of the common fan things there is like they don't do math or english at this school like well they Hogwarts. have i think arithmancy or something which is i don't know what but theoretically magic math yeah but like, like i i've definitely heard sort of people say it's like at hogwarts they don't do no like they don't do geography right so they don't no, yeah, so learn. wizards don't know where things are, 100%. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this is kind of a, a play on that, but it's, like, intentional. Like, like you know, th this is one of those reasons why the other verse is so great, because Wobbo's specifically calling this out as problematic. Yes. Whereas in, in Harry Potter, it was just something that, like, seems like JK didn't notice. <laughs> and then yeah, the or think called about it out years later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's good. It's good fun. It's very... Uh, I love the little... Not digs, but like nods to to tropes in media, you know. Exactly, yeah, and 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 working them into the universe. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, so basically they, they explain this whole for swearing, and 
one of the quotes that jumped out to me from this was uh, Corbin, I think it is, says, uh, so, yeah, student B claimed that student A couldn't forswear them because they were both students at the school and the school rules forbade that, which, mm. you know, wouldn't normally be a huge issue because you could just wait until the school year ends. Yeah. And, like, I, I Crazy. we already knew this, but that was the part where I was like, oh, so this this whole you can't hurt each other thing is just at the school. Like, it's such... Just it's in such semester a, at the school, yeah. Yeah, like, it's such a bullshit alliance that the Blue Heron Institute represents. Like, the idea that it's like, oh, just wait till after school goes and then you can go fucking nuts on the kids you don't like. Like, it's just such... Uh, this place is such a facade sometimes. Mm. Like, like the idea that, you know, like, if we look, if we compare this to the Kennet others and the Kenneteers, there's, like, a, a permanent thing where it's like, we're not going to hurt each other, we're always going to work together. Mm. Um, whereas at the Blue Heron Institute, it's like, hey, look, while we're here, let's refrain from killing each other, but off-school grounds, like, go fucking nuts, you know? Like, it's, yeah, fuck practitioners. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you got there eventually, but yeah, practitioners are the worst. <laughs> um, especially because... Like, I, I'm interested to get your read on this, but I was like, oh, the student who foreswore the other one was totally in the right, weren't they? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the other student totally broke their deal and then was like, uh, you can't do anything about it. Fuck them. Yeah, like, I mean, there's, there's, there's moral issues with the idea of forswearing to me, like, where, yeah. Yes, and we'll, again, confront that this chapter. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know if I want to get 100% on team A, because, you know, it's like, you know, you can take revenge too far or, or whatever. Like I like. So I'm not like 100% on team S, but like student B, the guy who like betrayed him and, and stole his family's shit, mm. was definitely asking for trouble. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's a clear betrayal. Yeah, it's the worst. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I agree with you for sure. Uh, and then there's this moment where uh, Melody and, and Corbin, uh, things sort of drift to... Like, hey, you know what's going on here at the school is actually about Bristow and Alexander. And and they're sort of talking about, oh, yeah, this is actually just a leadership struggle. And then it's like two sentences later, they're like, so are you going to go to Bristow or Alexander's class? It's mm. <laughs> just like, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much talk about, oh, we're just going to remain neutral. And uh, like, this is just yes. one of these perfect examples where I'm like, no, you're not. Like, Yeah, clearly you can't remain neutral on this. There's, yeah, because yeah. you have two choices for a class, and uh, yeah. you know they split up. So there's an argument there, or you know you could not go to a class, could be going neutral. But I uh, know the the Kennedys go to the classes. They sort of pick sides. Yeah, although picking a class is that picking pro or anti? I mean, like they basically go to Bristow's class, and Lucy at least is thinking the whole time about how can we beat you, what how can we turn this knowledge against you, kind of things, right? That's true. That's true. They know your enemy. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. I mean, sort of, yeah, regardless of what the decision means, I just thought it was such a hilarious transition from, you know, this is really about the leadership thing. So are you going to Bristow or Alexander's class? Yeah. Like, just, just really reinforcing that, like, yeah, there's sides and you're probably going to be forced to take them. Yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, Verona goes off to learn about possession from Alexander while Lucy Avery and uh, the Kierstards wait for Bristow's class to begin. Uh, and Melody tells them all about her familiar choice while Corbin goes off and is a huge tool. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, yeah. depending on what we hear. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll get there. But uh, So one of the things Melody talks to them about, she's like, oh yeah, like my parents have all these strict rules about familiars, but like jokes on them, I've already picked the familiar I want. Um, and, and so her parents' rule for choosing a familiar is that you have to be at least 16 and you have to live with it for two years before you're allowed to 
commit. Yeah. And, like, it's not the worst. <laughs> like, just compared to all the bullshit we've heard from practitioners, I was like, honestly, I think I could kind of back Melody's parents on these rules. I think if you view this as analogous to, like, a marriage you can't really divorce from, I think waiting till you're 16 and actually, like, you know, sort of living with or getting to know them for two years mm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great rule. Like, you know, it ensures that you don't just rush into a literal lifelong commitment. So I'm I'm pro her parents. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to call that out because I think we're, we're about to dive into her parents more. And like they're kind of pitched as not the best in so many yeah. other ways or in all yeah. the other ways. But like this was the one thing where I was like, no, actually, I think like that's fair of them to impose that on you. Yeah, maybe practitioners get some things right sometimes. <laughs> yes, it's worth calling out that blue moon option uh, where they do. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, a, a good rule. I, should we talk about her familiar? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's literally a stand-in for her, like, absent father, right? Yeah, it's like, a magic <laughs> dad jacket. It's, it does all the things a dad does, um, but there's no dad involved because her dad's absent, I guess. Yeah, like, I mean, like, because something that's sort of set up is it sounds like Melody and, and Corbin have been at a boarding school for years already, um, which is just like, like, the school I went to, because I, I grew up out, out in the country, like, it had boarding students, because some people mm. live on farms, it's just impractical to, to get into the school every day. So, like, we had boarders, but, like, the school had a policy about not taking them until they were the age of 13, mm. and there are a couple of times where they, like, altered that and it, it was rough on the kids like when you're that young to go from like living with your family that's very tight-knit to just being on your own like it's like the idea that they've been at boarding school already for years i was like oh god like no wonder their relationship with their parents is a bit kind of you know messed up it's been so interrupted mm. and mm. uh yeah like i mean you know it's like it's not always terrible like you know i had lots of friends who were boarders they're, they're fine they're normal people but like it can be hard and I was like, well, no wonder that like, it's kind of like this this stand-in, I forget what it's called, you know, this like uh, sentient outfit. They sort of sent it as a bit of a nanny type thing. It's like, well, of course they've like latched onto it when you were absent for so long. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, okay. So there's like the, the Kia stads. Um, yes. Their like practice is really fascinating, right? Because they're people who... They study like the core fundamentals of the practice and sort of specialize. Like I think, yeah, Melody specializes in uh, long-term practices or something. Yeah, like I yeah. kind of compared them in my head to people who like study pure mathematics at university, where it's like there's not a practical, direct application to what those people study, but they're used to like consult and or their work is used to develop other things. Yeah, it's just a good kind of fundamentals type of thing, you know, something that. You know, nobody wants to do it, but its impacts will ripple out, presumably, into uh, every element of the practice. Yeah, yeah, or like, um, like a theoretical physicist, right? Like, they don't directly, like, you know, do business with, with the world or whatever, but it's like their theories are then used to power innovation by other people. Like, I could see the Kierstads being someone you hire to consult because they're so good with their, with their knowledge of, like, long-term practices. That it's like, oh, I need something long-term, and you bring them in as a bit of a consultant. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Just to help shore up the, you know, the basic elements of the practice. Yeah. And, and maybe any innovations they make, they can sell in a textbook that's like an academic journal and spreads around the world. And 
benefits yeah. everyone. It's presumably a very, um, you know, unflashy but fiscally rewarding uh, element of the practice, I guess. I, I mean, yeah, or potentially not, like, depending on what the model for it is. It might be really hard to do stuff well enough that people actually need to hire you or whatever. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it depends, I guess, on... I guess we don't know how much, you know, consulting work there is for, for these kinds of... Um, for these kinds of practitioners, you know? Yeah, like Charles would probably be our best comparison, I think, like of someone who did something kind of like that. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. Um, fair. Yeah. Um, oh, and as they're waiting for class as well, I just want to cut this one bit where Lucy sort of, you know, she's getting the scope on like Shelly and... Um, yes. And she notices Ted outside as well, and he's doing like some Tai Chi type thing. Mm. And I, I don't know if we've really talked about this before, but like I was just sort of thinking, so he's out of this time loop. Like, can you imagine if you've lived your life like a, a hundred or a thousand times or whatever the hell you had to do, I feel like you'd stop valuing time in the same way. Mm. And I'm just like, I, I was just thinking like the panic of when you beat this thing and it's like, oh shit, this is my last life now. Like, mm. like I, I'm really interested to see more from Ted because it suddenly dawned on me that it's like, is he in this headspace now where it's like, he must be so lost because he had this, you know, big thing that he had to do and now he's done it and it's just kind of like is he just ready for death or is he like constantly panicking that he's not using his time efficiently anymore because he got so used to not having to worry about that yeah i wonder i yeah i wonder what it'd be like i mean again i i think definitely when we were reading the dossiers he was the one that was the most intriguing to me so yeah i hope we get more i'm sure we will get more opportunities to uh to examine him a bit more so i'm really excited for them yeah, well, yeah, I can't. I just can't wait to see how he's dealing psychologically with the fact that he's now living a life that doesn't have a point and has a, a quickly arriving end, uh, which is some, two things he hasn't had to cope with for thousands of years. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he can die, which is, <laughs> if that gets taken away from you and then brought back, I can only imagine how strange that would be. Yeah, although, yeah, or has he been through enough loops where he's, like, ready for that and he's just kind of like, Trying to yeah. do the best he can until he dies. Yeah. He doesn't care too much. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. I'm because part of my mental thinking for this whole thing is I was kind of like, oh, because, you know, you take a few loops to just do whatever the fuck you want. Mm. But also, this is the other verse. Maybe he wasn't allowed to do that. Like, I could see the god that trapped him in this loop or whatever. If it catches him starting to like take a loop off, it would just like kill him quickly. So, <laughs> like, yeah, I guess. I wonder. Yeah, presumably that would happen, right? Like, presumably it, it wouldn't let you just, you know, take a loop to chill. Yeah, like, this is a universe with no chill, and I, I don't know enough about what the fuck happened, but I assume there's, like, a cost per loop, so presumably whatever his patron was probably wouldn't want him wasting them. I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, a, a good boss would, like, understand the need for mental health loops, but I don't know that it would have been a good boss, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it would have been a good boss. Um, can we talk about this stuff with Corbin? Because <laughs> this is wild. I think I was kind of putting it off because it just made me so mad. And it's it's so, I mean, I don't know. It's the kind of thing where we don't know enough to to really be both, you know, to to jump in with both feet into being fully mad. But we see enough and we hear enough of his jagged conversation to know that it's not good, right? Yes, it's left a little bit ambiguous as to whether he is planning to do anything objectively terrible, 
Yeah. But there's enough of like, he's clearly gossiping about them uh, that I was still like, fuck you. Like, and, you know, and his friends were clearly encouraging him to be a dickhead. So I was like, fuck them too. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the implication I think that we're meant to make is Corbin has selected a side. We don't fully know what it is, but he's talking to his friends about how he can either bring the Kennedys to his side or like get a win over on them to like raise his side's profile up, I guess. Uh, honestly, like it sounds like the the people were encouraging to him to do a little bit of like a, a coup and a claim type thing where it's like if you can construct a scenario where you have to save them then they'll sort of owe you one mm. um so it's it's like a forcing them onto your side type deal yeah um but the fact that he's reluctant because he sees that they're becoming friendly with uh what's his sister's name molly is that right melody melody sorry um the fact that he seems like he might feel some guilt about that indicates that there's nothing good going on there, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that was my read is that I don't know which way he's going to go, but it seems like his friends were the ones trying to pressure him into being a dickhead because they've decided. Like I think the bit that really boiled my veins was when one of them was like, "Oh, those three are show-offs," and I was like, "Hey, that's kind of true, but fuck you. That's not what they're trying to do." Mm. Yeah, <sighs> especially because um, Corbin was so nice about the the lacrosse at the start because he was yep. in the lacrosse thing yep um i i think as well i, I don't want to call it the writing of this is very good like the way lucy is catching like snippets of this conversation she's like eavesdropping on like yeah um i'm a little bit of a serial eavesdropper myself and like this really captured the like the vibe of how you can't quite make out all the words yeah. and you're trying to piece together stuff um oh yeah 100 percent. and then like my favorite part though is then like because lucy's concentrating on that conversation she can half hear when she sort of gets brought back to reality we find out that like avery has just gone and spilt like a bunch of beans to melody which is just like you leave avery alone for five fucking seconds with someone and she'll tell them all the shit she shouldn't um it's so hilariously mm. avery that lucy comes in she's like god fucking damn it avery like you shouldn't have mentioned the implement stuff mm. um i mean it works out like going to ray ends up being a great suggestion but yeah i, I just loved the way this moment came together like before and after Lucy was doing the eavesdropping and everything. Yep. <sighs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, there's too much going on in this school, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, uh, Bristow begins his visceral knots class and uh, starts giving the class some good information before kind of drifting off into his own personal anecdotes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a shame he's such a self, self-absorbed teacher because like, as yikes as it is, this subject is fascinating. Oh yeah, it's very interesting. But again, I think every subject in this class is uh, in this school is pretty interesting. So that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um. So, what is this lesson imparting? Like, let's think about why we're what we're learning here. So, what the basics of what this lesson is about is visceral knots, which is when tangible things, visceral things like human or other, are kind of twisted by major forces so an example is human bloodlines getting twisted gives you subhumans i think it's possibly fair to call alpi an example of visceral knot like a human twisted by kind of dream forces until she turned into a mare i guess hmm. may maybe I, I, mm. I got the impression when we learned about the hags a couple of chapters ago i kind of because they're not totally there's similarities um I, I think alpi's more tied to it though i would actually think she's one of the universe's things that's meant to stop these knots forming like mm. 
Because the whole concept of her nightmares that she gives people is it's meant to nudge them in directions the universe needs them to go, which I would assume is like undoing trying those to, knots. Yeah. yeah, trying to, to trying to smooth out the knots. Yeah, true. Um, I mean, what really sort of jumped out to me is when Bristow starts to get to talking about places that are naughty, I was like, oh, that feels like Kennet is ripe for it. Like, it's kind of isolated. Um, if they can get the, like, hallow wall back up, like, you know, there's like this sort of magical hallow thing, and then you've just got all this violence energy growing in the town from the carmine beast furs like is that does that have the potential to start to knot up the town and then what the fuck does that look like? mm, yeah i don't know yeah you're right but maybe this is what we're getting from this lesson there's a chance that all the shit happening in kennet is going to knot up all the innocence or not i don't know something yeah like 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 i started to wonder at this point like should we consider that whoever's holding on to the Carmine Beast's power, is that part of their goal? Mm. Is to keep it there to not up Kennet? Because maybe Yikes. Maybe the knots are designed to bring humans down a peg so that the others are more equal. Uh and that would explain why even like, you know, if it was Edith and Matthew holding on to it, that's why they'd want to get the hallow back up, because that might be helping to keep the energy isolated and knotting off the mm. town to to take humans down a peg in the social order there. So, I, I don't I'm speculating fucking wildly right now. But. Mm, mm, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. If if that is part of the plan, that's a lot more villainous than we... Like, if intentionally causing knots is part of the plan, that's great. That's, like, way more villainous than we were expecting this Carmine Beast murder to be, right? It depends on what the knots do. Because, like, Bristow brings up all his, like, super yikes subhuman stuff in relation yeah. to them, but, like is there a way to do this that's not inherently bad? Using, like, violence, Carmine beast energy? Maybe not, but, um, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. It, it, like, there's this assumption. The knots are, like, where areas break from the status quo. Mm. And that's not necessarily, like, depending on how you do it, that might actually be a good thing. And, like, Bristow's examples are all super shitty, but so is he. So, I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe there is a way to do this non-toxically. Maybe that's what Miss was trying to do with the hallow, like, create a knot that was a good kind of knot. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Like, forget the Carmine stuff. Maybe, maybe she was creating a halo of like people being chill and good, and it was creating a knot of people being chill and good. Yeah. Can we um, have positive knots? I mean, the yeah, exactly. the term visceral knot implies negativity, but maybe that's just practitioner bias. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, like as an as a side note, I did think it was hilarious that like all of Bristow's examples for this stuff were like people like like when he, he he introduces the concept and he's like yeah all sorts of stuff can get transformed by these knots let's talk about all these people that like are now subhuman that i can you know sort of dehumanize and it's like you know as a dude who literally collects people i was like <laughs> like yeah just yikes like i think lucy says it best mm. um and he eventually moves on to a non-people example which is like how you can do a place which i was like well is this fucking your apartment building too then like it's still the mm. same yikes bullshit mm. yeah 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 true very yikes <laughs> he talks about selling a baby yes um yeah He's sort of like oh i wouldn't do that but i could have and i would have made more money and it's like that shouldn't even be like on the list of options like the, it wouldn't have occurred to me to sell the baby yeah the fact that that's his um where his mind goes indicates he's already far enough gone <laughs> yeah exactly like that just shouldn't be on the list. Yeah. Um, can we? 
I, I want to touch on, because I, I was trying to find the interpretation of how this is relevant to Kenneth, right? And one thing that I was thinking is in the third instance of this, uh, the third case that Bristow talks about is an other intentionally twisting a human or a group of humans. And I was kind of nervous for a bit that this is why it's being brought up, that maybe this is like related to what's happening to our Kenneteers, like them being awakened as a group is kind of intentionally twisting them somehow. I, I don't know. Like it's not quite the same per se, but maybe there's a link that we're meant to draw in there. I mean, if it is, again, I'm going to double down on my misses nodding things for the better. Uh, idea. Yeah, sure. Because the Kennedy is like, you know, there's been rough points, but like, I, I've loved the direction the three of them have gone over the course of this story already. Like, I, I feel like, you know, being in a school that's about to go to war, I, I still kind of think they're in better positions than they were when Miss found them. Like, you know? Yeah. Lucy's finding ways to empower herself. Avery has friends and is like, you know, finding her way to self-confidence. Verona's in a war zone, but that's still better than her being at home. Like, I, I, you know, yeah. I think it's it's all kind of working out. It's still going to be rough. It's still going to be a rough journey. Like, I don't think the story's just going to be happy, go, happy-go-lucky time for the rest of it. But I, I feel like they're all better off than they were. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's hard to say because something can go wrong so quickly in this world that it's like, you know, you can be well off for a while and then suddenly your life just completely falls to shit. That's tr- that's very true. This could all change in. 200 words yeah in really not a lot of stuff um yeah uh so yeah this class ends uh and then avery and verona decide to discuss lucy's implement without her they kick her out of that conversation so lucy <laughs> goes to talk to radical ray instead yeah yeah this is like this is like a wild series of events to read because it goes from verona being like we're gonna go organize your implement without you and mm. we'll, we'll touch more on like that uh when we we see it from avery's perspective next chapter but then, wait, to hear Lucy then go, okay, well, uh, since I'm alone, I'm going to go talk to Ray. I was like, oh, okay. Like, shit, this just, this just went completely where I, like, the opposite direction to where I thought it was going to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I definitely didn't expect it to end with a, co- uh, not confrontation, a conversation, I guess, between uh, Lucy and Ray. But yeah, I'm keen that's where it went because this was a great chat. Um, but before we get there, uh, there's some stuff before we get into that conversation. Um, so first of all, there's a thought from Lucy that Alexander seems to be letting Bristow do an awful lot without really fighting it. And yeah, this is so true, right? Like, we haven't seen Alexander do anything until he, until he like, coos Bristow's class. He really hasn't done anything in this fight, which is kind of crazy. I think, I think this is just Lucy working in a very different way to Alexander. Like, Lucy, her whole thing is kind of more direct confrontation and she doesn't secede ground. Whereas like Alexander's this like long con chess player, like he will let yeah. Bristow think he's winning. Yeah, to, true. Like pull the rug out from under him. Um like like I tie this to you know, very often Lucy's just sort of like, I don't get Verona. And um we'll talk even more about like the Verona and, and Alexander link later. But like I think this is just yeah, Lucy's a very different person to Alexander and verona um and she's just like alexander's handling this very differently to how she Mm. yeah no i agree and and maybe i mean i'm not saying that alexander isn't planning anything or doesn't have anything in 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 in, uh progress i guess but just i don't know like it really feels like bristow has just had run of the school for the past week yeah yeah like i think this is just 
what what Lucy is kind of bringing up here is like how stupid all the bullshit is because it's kind of like like Alexander kind of has to allow Bristow to do this and let the school because you know he has to win in a certain way like I think what's really being brought up here is just like what bullshit this whole system is that's allowing these two to run their war like on the school um mm. and like obviously like the Jess stuff comes into that uh a lot as well but like I, I think that's sort of the point is it's like it, it's the fact that like this this conflict ha- is kind of being forced to happen in a way that drags out and brings other people in and that's mm. shitty yeah yeah, I mean, it, it explicitly is being in a way that, that draws sides, right? Like, yeah, with over the course of this chapter and the next chapter, we're just seeing, we're explicitly seeing sides being drawn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so here's another thing to touch on. Uh, Lucy thinks in her head, Lucy wished Verona hadn't fucked off like she had. And is that the, like... When I read this, I was like, holy shit, that's the strongest language I think I've heard Lucy use inside her own head. And it's describing Verona. Like, it's clearly a bit bitter, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think we talked last week about how it felt like there were bits of strife between the, the, the gang. And, and yeah, this might be like, yeah, these sort of remnants of that. Because there's like little moments of discord between the three of them, but they're not that bad. Like, yeah, this is just sort of one thought Lucy has. And it's kind of fair as well. because. Like, yeah, okay, we'll get to it when Verona and Avery are doing the thing, but I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know why Verona's handling this like this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It does I don't stand know. out, though, for sure. It's strifey. You're right. I hope it's strife. I hope it's, not, I hope it's something that can get easily and cleanly resolved with a few magic spells. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to call out there's like a bit where uh, Snowdrop and Lucy have a conversation about like what everyone considers home to be. Yes. Uh, and what did you make of the, uh, like what Verona considers home? Cause Snowdrop clearly thinks she knows what it is. And she says, it's like, uh, any random patch of reality and Lucy sort of goes, Oh, like, uh, like her imagination mm. and Snowdrop basically says, yeah. Uh, and, and then repeats herself. And then Lucy stops the conversation. I was kind of like, wait, did Lucy just misunderstand Snowdrop? Cause Snowdrop said, no, yes, yeah, that exactly. Means no. Yeah. Um. And it, it just it just sort of gets dropped, and I was like, uh, so okay, if it's not imagination, because that was what I kind of thought it was. I'm curious what you think it might be. <sighs> Any random patch of reality. I mean, it has to be a specific place, right? Well, the, the use of reality makes me think like, I, I maybe what when Snowdrop said like, yeah, any patch of any random patch of reality. What you're saying is like, no, a specific thought. Like, like because Lucy just says imagination. It's like no, it's like there's a specific thought yeah like verona considers home and i'm just like i feel like i should be able to figure out what that is because we've spent like one hundred and fifty thousand words in verona's head um is it like is is it lucy mm. is it um, like you know the idea of turning into another as a refuge i mean i wouldn't call that home i don't know like, like lucy is honestly my best <laughs> just, just yeah verona want to alcazar lucy and make her her domain um <laughs> Don't say that, Elliot. You'll <laughs> give Wabo ideas. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it was just, uh, yeah, I, I'm curious to hear, like, any other reads on this because I was like, I feel like we should be able to grok this and for whatever reason, I, I kind of can't. Yeah, I was thinking about it. I, I can't quite put together something that I'm fairly happy with either. Um, but I suppose the other thing from this conversation is, like, Lucy's talking about how she's homesick 
Yeah. Like she brings that up. She's like, I never feel as good as when I'm at home. And I think like I read this bit and I messaged you on Facebook like that day. And I was like, I wonder if Lucy's not going to get an implement, but she's going to pivot and get a domain. Mm. Because mm. like we keep talking about Lucy getting an implement. And I keep looking at it. I'm like, I don't, I haven't seen anything that feels like a great fit to me. Whereas like, you know, Lucy's the only one of these three who actually likes the idea of home. We've just True. Sort of talked about I that. mean, yeah, we've touched on it. It's weird that she's been put down for an implement where she's the only one that has a positive home, you know. I mean, Avery's not terrible, but Lucy definitely has the, the nicest home life, I think. Yeah, and she's the person who has this concept of home. Like, especially she, more than the others, I think she's the sort of person who needs a place where she can just retreat and, like, chill and not have to deal with other people's bullshit. Mm. Um, and, like, that's, that's maybe what she's missing a little bit here at this school. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's because we learn in the domain thing. I'm jumping ahead a bit, but we kind of learn that, like, you know, there are people who have Alcazars of their stuff as domains. Like, isn't there yes. a guy who has his deck of cards as his yes, domain? as his domain? Yes. Like that would make more sense to me if Lucy got like some implementy types of item, but like turned it into an Alcazar and made it a domain. That yeah, but that's kind of. I mean, I feel like that's copping out a bit. Like, I feel like. My vibe is just that there's an actual good explanation why one of them should have a domain and we just don't know what it is, but Wildbo has it and he's ready to drop it on us, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's get into this conversation with Ray. First, I want to say, Ray, he opens up the conversation with an apology, which is great. Ray, you're perfect. You're redeemed forever, <laughs> at least until the end of this chapter. Uh, you're You're a wonderful human being. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I was very pleasantly surprised with how this just, like, from the get-go, Ray just sort of is like, hey, I have been meaning to find you, I really do want to apologize, that was not cool, um, mm. and he got, like, so many bonus points for me, because then Lucy's like, oh, you know, there was strife, there was, like, extra stuff, and Ray's like, even then, that only works off what's already there, and I should have been able to handle it better, like, I, you know, like, even though there was, like, extra stuff, he still acknowledges that, like, at the end of the day, that the responsibility still falls on him. Like, mm. yeah, I, like so, so many bonus points to me for for not like not letting the strife sit as an excuse. But he's still like, no, 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 I could have done better, and I should have done better. Yeah, I'm sorry. Good on him. Good stuff. I love it. Um. So yeah. Uh. So the, they get into the conversation, and Lucy starts by asking a bit about implements and getting some general advice, uh, from Ray. Yeah, and but again, I'm I'm kind of sticky with my Lucy should pivot to a domain idea because. We have this conversation. I don't think it gets her any closer to picking something because it's sort of like like Ray offers all these helpful, I think, like questions to ask to help like frame it in your head. Like he's like, mm-hmm. when you view yourself, what do you view yourself? Yeah, exactly. Doing? Yeah, what and are you doing? Lucy, what are you all, wearing? Etc. Yeah, and it's all just still her self. Like she talks about some outfits, but she's not particularly really like attached to those. It's it's her arguing. It's like you know. Can you domainify an Alcazar of yourself? Like, yeah, I, I think I've seen people suggest that, and like that's like that feels like loaded imagery or, or whatever. Like, I, yeah, I don't know if I it feels weirdly that. like conceptually yeah. incestuous in a way that's yes. quite strange. Um, but it's just like like the more we talk about Lucy having an implement, the more I'm like I, I'm loving this character deep dive, but it's not pointing me at an item. So either I'm completely missing it, or I feel like something like a domain is a better fit. Mm. Yeah, maybe you're right. Or just the fact that there's no, I don't know, the implement just isn't a good fit regardless. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, dualistically, I feel like with all these discussions, we kind of have to have one of the Kennedys commit to something. Like, we've spent so so much of this, this arc talking about these three 
things. I'd feel a bit weird if we didn't end up having any of them go for any of them. But mm. I don't know. Maybe maybe it could work, and I'm just I don't have the imagination to picture it. Mm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I don't see anything tangible that Lucy gets here in terms of what her implement should be. Uh. Again, she she sees herself as being kind of confrontational, which again suggests weapon to me. But you know. She she seems pretty keen on not having that, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, she sees herself arguing. Can we get her like a megaphone or something, like something so people have to listen to her? Interesting. Give her a but, megaphone to empower her to yell everyone into line. Yep, yep. I don't know. It doesn't. I again, I don't think it quite feels right. Um. Yeah. I. Yeah. I, nothing does. That's that's constantly been my True. problem. I mean, I, I, yeah, as I already said, I, I really like the way Ray handles this. Like, he, he is immediately like, I can't really help you. I don't know you that well. We wouldn't have had this fight if I was a good fit for helping you. But, like, he, mm. he manages to ask these questions, which get her to think about it in what seems to me to be useful ways. Like, he, he talks about how he's better at this one on one puzzle stuff than teaching. And you can really feel that. Like, when him and Lucy sit, like, together in a room alone, they actually, like, work well together. Mm yeah yeah um yeah i also think it's interesting like as we've sort of rounded out the trio here uh one of the things like the trio of of implement domain familiars uh ray says that implements are kind of the hardest to pick and i'm like the more i thought about that i was like like i I see what he's saying because like the familiar ritual kind of depends as much on the familiar as you so you're kind of going to find a fit or you're not Mm. um but like you know you can go out do whatever the equivalent of dating is to, to to find someone um the domain is similarly like you'd need a place or a thing that you really want to domainify um the implement is almost something you're never gonna like you're, you're either gonna have something that you're just like oh this is my implement or you're gonna have to make it for yourself right mm, yes um wait whereas yeah with the others i feel like it, it's just as much on someone or some place else to sort of come up as relevance or is this you've just literally got to be like what is me yeah it has to be so you have to be so self-aware to an extent that's kind of worrying although i guess if you pick something that isn't fully correct to who you are you you're picking something that will kind of define who you are so it'll end up being correct in the end anyway yeah but that's even scarier yeah i guess so change you to fit it um, yeah. Like whereas you know the domain, it's sort of it it shapes itself a bit to you. Like it, yeah, it doesn't so it doesn't seem to matter so much where you define the domain. You just got to put it somewhere you can handle it. But, yes, exactly. Um, it, it's you know it's this investment that you get to shape. Whereas the implement, like that two way shaping you thing, is yeah, like scary. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, I don't know. I think Lucy comes out of this conversation without any solid answers on this. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, then the conversation pivots as Lucy asks a question that we were all thinking, which is why didn't Ray care that Charles was forsworn? I was so excited when Lucy just like pivoted to this because, like, you know, that was something we all thought about when it came up. Like, I think it was like the Kennedys literally called it out as they're like, um, if you were friends with these guys, why haven't they like helped you? It's not mm. so good that, like, of course, like, it was just such a Lucy thing to be like in the world of the conversation, just to be like, Hey, so like the fuck with Charles. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, I'm so glad we get this conversation because it's, this was something that I was wondering 
and it's it's us kind of having to reconcile things that we've known about for a while that just haven't quite sat right about this school, you know? Um, yeah. It's also a chance to get, like, honest, true, or true from a certain perspective history on Charles, because as the one person who can lie, his, bio, his self-biography is, like, the only one we can, can't trust anything about. Mm. So it's good to, like, hear from somebody who has to tell the truth, like, get, getting more details on it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like yeah, we didn't we didn't know he was an ex-con till now. True. Yes, that's confirmed, which is good, Elliot. You uh, you know, you predicted that analogy and it came true. So if you wouldn't mind, just make <laughs> some analogies about how I'm gonna be a millionaire soon and stuff like that. That would be good. <laughs> um yeah, okay. Well, what about all of our listeners are analogous to very generous Patreon supporters. Yes. So head on over Perfect. to patreon.com forward slash do for media and yep and prove me right, please. <laughs> yep. Perfect. Good stuff, Elliot. Um. Sh- so yeah, uh, like Ray obviously feels a bit conflicted about this, but he's kind of also established his response is like, yes, it sucks, but Alexander's kind of earned enough of my trust that I am willing to overlook this for him, right? Which mm. I don't know. Uh, it's just, it's just him not actually. It's him being a bit spineless, right? I mean, yeah. Like, I I get it. I, I, I get it. But, like, the more you think about it, the, the more I was just like, you know, you're falling into this trap where taking Charles's side causes you more problems than not. Mm. So you're finding ways to justify to yourself why it's okay to take Alexander's side because taking Charles's is harder. And, like, yeah, you, you get the vibe. The longer this conversation goes on. Like mm. Ray knows that Alexander was wrong to do this, and he's just trying to find reasons where it's like, oh, well, you know, wouldn't it be bad to not forgive Alexander but to forgive Charles? And I was just sort of like, well, no, because Charles was trying to do better, and Alexander's still pulling the same bullshit. Like, I'm more willing to forgive Charles because he was trying to turn his life around and be a better person, and mm. Alexander was not. Mm. Maybe Charles wasn't. I, I, I guess I shouldn't take that as a complete fact that he was, yeah but I, that's certainly the impression ray had yes it definitely seems like where we have kind of landed on it for sure right yeah yeah like like there's even this moment where uh lucy's like you know uh charles says alexander forswore him uh are you okay with that and ray's like uh the fact i'm here suggests i am which i was like that's not a yes that's a sentence that's meant to imply lie a yes yeah it implies his thoughts but it doesn't actually say he's okay with it yeah and then as the conversation goes on i got more and more convinced that he's sort of like i'm trying to make myself okay with it but i don't think (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's not there yet he's kind of and i mean props to ray he clearly feels very conflicted about it so that's good as he should be he just i don't know i mean what would we have him do i guess the answer is this alexander who has done this is not somebody that you can trust to be in charge of the education of children, right? Like that's what it boils down to for me. And so being a teacher at his school makes you complicit in his bad behavior. So you just kind of have to ditch, right? Yeah, yeah. Wait, 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 yeah. My my analogy well my yeah, my thinking is it's so much harder for Ray to take Charles's side because Alexander's the one in power that like he's finding ways to make himself okay with this whereas yeah you're right like you know this is telling you that alexander shouldn't be a teacher and like lucy even calls ray out for this like ray is 
Ray has this almost breakdown where he's like, I don't know. Like, I'm a very confused person. And Lucy's like, maybe you shouldn't be a teacher. And it's kind of like, yeah, the lesson here kind of seems to be, you know, Alexander's too terrible a person and Ray has too much of his own shit to sort out for either of them to really be teaching right now. Mm. Mm, yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, like, I love the way Lucy sums it up in the final line of the chapter is like, you're the most level-headed staff member here and you can't even say whether it's wrong to ruin a man's life like where does that leave us um yeah that's a great finishing line as well for just like really again hyping up how crazy this school's gonna get yeah i love that as the final line lucy just having that epiphany of there's no adequate by my definition moral compass at the school it just doesn't exist um Um, so before we move on to the next chapter though i do want to quickly jump on um I want to talk, wait, I want to talk about Charles as well. Just like we've already sort of touched on this, but like he did bad stuff and he went to jail. Yes, and he was maybe in and out of jail, but he like sort of came out and eventually managed to get away from his criminal lifestyle, moved out to the country, and was like trying to do better. Mm. And and that's when Alexander like fucked him over. Yep, good stuff, Alex. And and to me, this is where the whole idea of like the justice versus injustice stuff comes from, and like like where I'm starting to see, I think what that difference is to lucy maybe Mm. like to me charles was from the looks of it trying to turn his life around and do better and make up for his mistakes and that's almost why it seems like lucy is taking the side of like you should have left him alone like if he's someone who gets away from the bad parts of his life he 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 literally moved so he's not upsetting victims or whatever like he's gone somewhere else he's trying to improve and it's kind of like shouldn't you just like if that's what somebody's doing what more do we want from them Mm. Um, whereas yeah like Alexander came at him and Alexander's still doing shitty controlling stuff so it's like why are we letting Alexander keep going whereas like Charles Charles was trying to be better and I I I don't know like for me that's super important yeah you're right he's clearly trying to improve his life and and do that through improving the lives of others right like yeah kind of community service vibe and and he was just punished for it right it's pretty shit yeah exactly because like what what better form of justice is there than somebody who's realized they're doing the wrong thing is trying to turn their life around and help others like that's i feel like that's the ideal situation and like that doesn't mean that their crimes are undone or whatever like if charles was responsible for people's deaths like that's still awful yeah but um it's like after that's happened what else do we need from him or like what else like that seems like the best case scenario after that is trying to stop this happening again and getting Charles mm. to try to make up for it. Like, I don't know what else society should really want from that situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm kind of getting into my whole justice no, society no. metaphor I mean, stuff. I think that's <laughs> but, right, yeah. especially in a Lucy in, in Lucy's head, right? Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't really think on this, but this is, like, the conclusion I came to, and I think is is maybe what she was thinking um, after reading it. Mm. Mm. Um. Cool. Should we jump into 6.5? Uh, yeah. We are now in Avery's head, uh, and we jump straight to the, uh, sorry, Avery and Verona conversation discussing Lucy's implement in more detail here. So the secret conversation that they kicked Lucy out for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll get into that, but um, I, to jump ahead a bit, I really like, I do, I do like this part where Verona is sort of thinking, oh, we should put ourselves into her implement like it's this um i mean the analogy is sort of you know hand making a present for someone for their birthday mm. where it's sort of like you know for certain people whatever that's more 
that, that's a better gift than buying something for them. Like, yes, I, I assume Verona's logic here is the three of us are really important for each other. If we help build a good implement for her and put some of ourselves into it, it's like tying the three of us together and it's a good gift for her. Like, mm. she will like it because she likes being connected to us. Like, I can, I can see the logic. Mm. Um, there's problematic parts as well. Like, especially my first thought when I heard Verona wanted to put some of her self into Lucy's implement, I was like, okay, interesting. Um, yeah. I get the logic now, but yeah, like, I just, I don't understand why we're keeping Lucy out of this. Yeah, me neither. Why is Lucy not allowed in this conversation? <laughs> like, I, this feels like, you know, I already brought up the birthday present analogy, and that's kind of what it feels like Verona's doing here. She's trying to create, like, this great surprise present for Lucy, which is a very nice gesture, except for this situation where it's, like, this this life-altering permanent decision Lucy's going to make. Like, yeah. I don't think that's the time for surprise presents. Yep, I don't think so either. Uh, like, they they present her with this lantern, and what she either has to say yes, like, what do they want to have? I don't know. I mean, I guess the response they're hoping for is, oh, it's perfect, I'll do it. But, like, again, any amount of pressuring her into making a poor decision is obviously problematic. My, my hope is that Verona's actual plan is to come at it. So, obviously, Verona's got the scissors, which she wants to contribute for materials. Yeah. And then... Uh, my understanding is they want to Alcazar into uh, Avery's photo mm. to like get that ready to also be uh, like something that they can use as the material. So hopefully yep. the pitch is, here's a lantern. I think this might be a good fit for you. And here's stuff we can use for materials to put ourselves into it. Because that kind of gives Lucy the option to say no or to say, I love the idea of the materials, but instead of a lantern, let's do an X. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, but we don't know for sure that Lu that Verona isn't planning on like coming to Lucy with the materials already put in the lantern as a sort of here you go, <laughs> we did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we touch on the lantern idea? Like, what do you think of the? Yeah. I like because we hinted at this before. I think it works quite nicely. Like, I really like the vibe of Lucy as this cleric with her just lantern beating back the forces of injustice. Um, so I get quite into it from that vibe, but I got the impression from before that you're not as uh, keen on it. I, I really like the part of the imagery that's like the, and I think the implement text talked about this, the idea that it's like, you know, it's you like shining your light out and like, cause like Lucy is someone who's hopefully going to go out there and like proselytize not being a dickhead. Um, so it's like Lucy going out and shining her light of being a good person onto people. Mm. Um, I, I really like that part of it um i don't it just i don't know like a lantern just doesn't feel right to lucy for me mm. why though <laughs> well i've never seen a handle a lantern they feel sure. impractical they like do it's feel a little a impractical like i know we don't want her to have a weapon but it also doesn't feel like something you use i i don't know yeah having said that you know she has um Part of her current equipment is a witch's hat and a fox mask. Again, not the most practical, but they seem to manage okay with it. Yeah, it's true. True. Is there any? Are there any items associated with foxes? I wonder if that's what we should. Be. I don't know off the top of my head. Fox trap. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, but I, no. I mean, that's a good point. I don't know. Like wielding a lantern just doesn't feel Lucy to me, and I, I don't know how to better explain it aside from that. It just. I don't know. 
Maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe seeing it in action and seeing Lucy's response, I'll completely 180. But you'll turn around on it. Yeah. Yeah. My first instinct is like it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, should we talk? I want to talk about this thing where Verona just like does a little mini diagram to improve the audio quality of her <laughs> of this <laughs> shitty little speaker. Like that's such a fun little casual use of magic. The exact kind of one that I used to be worried about for Verona, but now I've just kind of decided that it's her vibe. Yeah, it's like well, we we kind of know how they are getting this power a bit for free as the Kenneteers. So, yes. Um. Yeah. I love it because she like I think um Avery describes it as like she's just drawn a bunch of C's, mm-hmm. and then we like hear the sound getting better. I'm like, oh, it's the fucking little volume icon, isn't it? Like it's mm. the, the three she's turned C's, up same the as volume, like, yeah. Wife voicing. Um, but I love this like this really captures this sort of catch twenty two of of the magic in this world and and like of glamour. Yeah, where it's like if you believe it's gonna work, it kind of does. Like Verona's just like, I just drew something that felt right to me, and and it's kind of working. Um, and I was sort of like, like that would never work for Avery because Avery doubts herself or or, or doubts like her knowledge of the practice. She might worry it's not gonna work, and that would mean it wouldn't. Whereas mm. like Verona just kind of blindly being like, yeah, this will work. I'm pretty brilliant means it does. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean that's the practice, right? That's how <laughs> it goes. And, and yeah, I just love that as a catch twenty two as well because it's like that's not something you can just fix. Like you know, it, it's like it's like when someone tells you you're being irrational. That doesn't mm. magically make you go, "Oh, you're right." Let me think about this rationally. Like, mm. it, like the idea that it's like you you doubting it's going to work. It's just like, oh no, I just have to not doubt it, and then it'll be fine. Then it's it like, will it's work. easier yeah, said exactly. than done. Uh, yep. Yep. I mean, it's kind of like that thing where they ask you not to think of, you know, where you're asked, hey, don't think of a purple elephant, you know, that's basically yeah. what the practice can be like sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And it's just funny because like this, like I just, this would never work for Avery because she doesn't have that self-confidence. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, should we, t- is there anything else about this implement discussion that we want to touch on before we move on to other stuff in this chapter? Um. No, but I thought I just had was uh we haven't seen Avery give herself a gold check mark for quite a while since she had that freak out uh, yeah. last week or, or the week before, right? Like I wonder Is that a good thing or a bad thing, do you think? I don't know. I'm wondering if she start if she's gonna start to get like withdrawal symptoms. Mm. Like you know, yeah. or if she starts to regress. Like she she feels a little bit less confident in this chapter than she has for a while. And I wonder if you know, she's got all this stuff going on with Sheridan, like if her anxiety keeps peaking, uh, is she gonna and she's like trying to quit cold turkey. I wonder if something bad's going to happen. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it seems like nothing has gone that wrong with her not having one recently. We don't yeah, see anything feels... in this chapter that's like, oh, and her skin started to flake or whatever, you know? No, but I think her anxiety levels have really gone up. Um, I'm jumping mm. ahead in my notes here, but like there's a moment later where she's like, she starts to freak out because Jess ignores her. Um, she's also still feeling bad about the thing that happens with Verona. Like, yeah, I guess she has a bit of a moment towards the end of the episode, but I didn't really see that as out of character or anything. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. It it felt like I felt like she'd been finding her feet a bit more, and this feels like a bit of a regression. And maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about that. But like, you know, if it is a bit of a regression just after she's trying started trying to quit the glamour, like that's not a good sign. Yeah. No. True. True. Um. So, yeah, uh, after the conversation about the uh, implement, we jump forward in time and the trio are waiting for Bristow's next class to begin when suddenly Alexander pulls a trick. <laughs> um, yes. 
Uh, I, I just want to call out one line for while they're waiting uh, for Brewster's class to begin, where um, they're talking about like others that can possess people. Uh, as Verona's sort of recapping the possession class, and uh, Verona sort of goes, "I wonder if there's a house jockey, like some sort of failure to launch other who moves in and doesn't move out." Mm. And I was just like, "Verona, I know what you're thinking, but sorry, it's just <laughs> like it, there's no house jockey involved. I'm sorry, that's just him." I didn't even put that together until you mentioned it in your notes. She's desperately trying to figure out if her dad's an other. Fuck. <laughs> I don't Who know if she's she cons- consciously Jesus. doing that, but I was just kind of like, like just yeah, that, me. I was I like, mean, no, you're so right. So yeah, this is a great move by Alex, this trick he pulls. Like, it's both a great power play and a perfect illustration on this lesson. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't thought of that until you pointed it out, but like, it's true because, like, like especially there's a moment um, where he opens the sort of lesson. It's petty, isn't it? Counting mm. who, and like as soon as I read that, I was just like, yeah, but that's exactly what you're doing here. You've just kind yeah. of claimed this class. That's why it's so good. Yeah, well, I hadn't connected that to like from a dualistic perspective. It's really reinforcing the lesson to us. Like I noticed he was doing it, but I was like, oh, it's so good for showing it to us. Well, to us and to the class i think yeah um so yeah we get a few students who leave let's just write their names down so we know who the enemies are cass <laughs> jarvis silas maddox and daniela the villains of this story uh no because the canity is a neutral room so uh, oh fine. sorry yeah they're neutral. <laughs> totally neutral um yeah i wonder if anyone is keeping a list anywhere of like who's on what side mm. um because i'm gonna certainly lose track i know like yadira and stuff are bristow but maybe felix added to the sheet <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean the other thing that jumped out to me is like we get some more references to the hennigers this chapter who are the like uh the sort of violence practitioners mm. and i think they've gotten a cameo mention in like the last four chapters in a row mm. so like they're going that's going somewhere right like i, ca- I can't help but feel that like we're foreshadowing something by just constantly bringing them up as examples of various bits and pieces. Like, are they going to be a spark that lights the flame mm. of, of the war? Or, you know, I think they're originally tied to Carmine stuff. Like, I just feel like we keep bringing them up and there has to be going somewhere. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I don't know. We're getting a lot of discussion about a fair number of groups, though. It's hard for me to know if it's setting up, hey, this group's going to be important or just they're all going to be important, you know? Oh, I just think those four have specifically come up a lot more than... Oh, four? How many Hennigers are there? That family has come up a lot more than any of the others. Mm. Yeah, it's and- true. Yeah. Um. So next up, Alexander starts talking about upper hands, how to get them, how to keep them, etc. Mm. I, I, I have such a love-hate relationship with this concept mm. because it's so cool to see like another example of how theatrics are worked into the fabric of this universe. Like, you know, you putting on a show and talking down your, the other people is like, you know, going to literally weaken their, their standing. And I'm like, that's so cool. But on the other hand, like fuck the idea that just throwing insults at people weakens their like stature and status. <laughs> like it's so fucking toxic. Uh, that it doesn't even really yeah. have to be, directly at the claim if you just weaken them as a person then it weakens their overall standing like yeah i mean luckily the real world is um yeah just such a toxic environment here in the practice Mm. Mm. yeah 
I mean, it is. It, the whole world, the systems of this world are just set up to make it toxic and uh, abrasive. But, but that is like that is how it works in real life, right? Like, like well, sort of, like, I, I guess. I, I hate, like a little bit. Like, you know, smear campaigns are a thing. Yeah, like, sure. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it it works a little bit too well, doesn't it, in real life? Yeah, and so like it, it's kind of fun to to consider it in the story because it's like, oh, like you know, what what a cool figure for theatrics. But then I'm also like, oh, I hate that this is real. Ah, <sighs> yep, yep. Um, ah, yikes. Uh, so I, I, it kind of continued to amaze me how good of a move by Alexander taking over this class was. The longer it went on, like. There's so many layers of brilliance to it because he's he's got the Bristow. Almost certainly, Alexander can't not teach Bristow Bristow's you know favored students, right? He can't just say, "Okay, you guys can't learn this." But what he did was he got them to remove themselves from this class and is now teaching about this this thing, which is clearly so relevant to this war that is about to start, like how to <laughs> win points in the war, basically. And the Bristow students can't listen to it because they removed themselves it's like so many levels of how great of a power play this is you're right yeah the the more i think about why this was a good move the more reasons i'm coming up how great it was like yeah i mean he didn't even make them leave they he got them to choose to leave Mm. um then he gets to any of the people who are a bit more on the fence but were leaning towards bristow would have been in this class now he's taking claim ship them a little bit um he gets to equip all of his students with the stuff to fight Bristow. Um, yeah, yeah. It's such a good move. Mm, it I is. It's good so it good. Is. I think it's brilliant. Um, yeah, I, 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 there's a bit of a tie back to the Kamen Beast's fur here as well about, like, you know, the claims that are made over Kennet, they're all going to come back at this final pivotal moment. And Wabo's kind of setting up, like, hey, this is how the story's going to go. All these points that have been scored over the course of the story are going to get tallied up and it's going to matter at the very end and you know <laughs> start start paying attention to who's um who's winning more points yeah because because like this sort of comes up in the context of if you're fighting for claim of something like what you can do is kind of hide it keep it isolated and then it's like when you bring it out or you kind of get to put off the counting of the coup until yeah. you actually sort of bring it back out so it's a it's this risky strat of like, you know, lets you hold on to it, not really use it for a time. And then when you bring it out, like it's either going to go very well or very bad for you. Mm. Um, and yeah, it sets up this idea, as you said, of like the Kennedy is better start getting ready to prove that they've got the stuff. I, I mean, I, I'm curious how they frame that. Like, how do you claim the Carmine beasts power? Mm. Like, do they claim, do they claim that the other people just can't have it because it should be public property as, as like the role of the area? Mm. Do they claim that it's theirs because it's in Kennet and they're the practitioners of Kennet, so they own it? Because that's kind of yikes. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of ways that it could go, I guess. I, I also don't have any solid answers on that. Yeah, I, I don't so. know. We just kind of have to like, kind of keep track of points and, and see what's going to happen in terms of who can get the points to, you know. To, to claim Kennet or claim the common beast's power or wherever it ends up falling. Yeah, I think this will be something where when we reread this story after it's finished. Yeah. Like the the idea of like tracking the claim and, and the coup mm. between the Kenneteers and the villains will be mm. like really, really interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, uh, Alexander sets up this contest of like who's going to get claimant over this uh, prize, basically. Uh, and the Kennetys win, although they kind of had an unfair advantage. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, like holy, holy shit! I, like, I, a field, a school field trip to the fairy court is such a fucking disaster waiting to happen. I'm so on board for this. Like, yeah. With the school in its current state, there's just no way this field trip will go fine. Like, this is going to make the magic school bus look, you know, normal. I um, hope they go to the fairy courts on an actual magic school bus. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It needs to be a yellow school bus. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I can't wait for this. It's going to be a fucking disaster, and I'm so ready. Yeah, me too. Uh yeah, uh, we should touch on the fact that the 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 Kennedys clearly just kind of have this privilege that they don't even seem to realize that they have. Um, like the trio, because there are three of them, they just naturally tend towards uh, winning advantages like this, which is kind of bullshit. And I love that it it almost gets called out as being bullshit, but they don't really think about it too much, and so it doesn't play into the story too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the important bit of law that we get here is um, a group by default kind of gets a better claim on something yes and a, a, that a only connected app- and unified group yeah like that only applies if the group is is unified yeah and like so that seems like a vector of attack because oh yeah you know, we know we know alexander has a turncoat um we've already know that the kennedys have tried to turn people against bristow like if they can turn ted or shelly or yes kevin Clem. against bristow that that weakens his claim um if they're part of his claim i suppose yeah um, for sure so that's fine i mean you could also maybe apply it to like i still think it's going to be more than one person involved in the carmine beast murder yes it. so like so breaking that group up making some yeah introducing some strife let's say between them yeah exactly yeah for sure um, but I, I, I yeah and i mean like thematically i think that that really fits because like again like i think this is a story talking about how people can work together how we can form community and so the idea that like it's better if you're all actually just a good community um who who wants the same thing um you know that's like uh, of course that's going to be more powerful mm. i suppose you got to watch to make sure you don't turn into a cult or whatever but um you know it, it just yeah if it's very thematically with, with what this story is about i think mm. Mm. yeah i agree also this conversation is filled with interruptions from by a guy named Erasmus, mm. who I don't think we've encountered before. So I looked him up, and he's a duality host with Aslag. Okay. And Aslag is like this Viking legend about a princess who a bunch of shit happens to. She marries a king after she makes him do this stuff. Um, I Yeah, I'm bringing this up because I'm like, if anybody knows anything about Aslag or like why Wabo would have made this the point where Erasmus comes into the story, like let, let me know because I couldn't yeah. come up with anything. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Uh, let us know, I guess, if you have any thoughts. I, I, I'm trying to think of like, I mean, I again, I think it is just kind of meeting more of the players of the game. That's kind of what we're getting here. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like there must have been a reason it was decided that this coup class is the time that Erasmus yeah. will show up. Yeah, yeah, fair um, enough. I mean, there's something to the story of Aslag, like be it like she kind of. So there's like this weird part of the legend. Like I kind of skim read it on Wikipedia, but like mm. she she gets like stolen away because her, her parents get killed, even though she's like of, of noble heritage. Um, so she's brought up um as a bit of a peasant, but she she's forced to hide because basically she's still beautiful because she's a noble, and mm. it's like 
there's this bit in the Wikipedia thing, which is like clearly the author injecting their own like tactical yikes where they're like, uh, yeah, it's just the fact that she's beautiful is the assumed like signifier of nobility. Mm. So yeah. like in, in, in this Viking thing, it was just like, oh yeah, well, if you're, if you're beautiful, that must mean that you're a noble. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Um, wow. So yeah, hopefully we'll see some of that, I guess, through this character. Okay, yeah. I don't know. Good to know what parts jumped out at you about this legend, I suppose. I, I, it just jumped out to me because, like, if you go read the Wikipedia page, like, this is in brackets in a way where it's like the author is trying to, as professionally as possible, just say, uh, yeah, this is pretty yikes. Mm, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> Even the impartiality of that Wikipedia article can't, uh, can't persist yeah. for this story. Um, <laughs> Okay, so uh, the trio meet up with Nicolette and the other seniors after this class, ready to join in uh, to Jessica's uh, ritual, and they all kind of start going over their roles. Yeah, and and on their way there, this is that part I was talking about where I felt like Avery's anxiety is really starting to come back to us because she's she really frets about the Verona thing, even after Verona has forgiven her for the Jeremy stuff. Because um, like Verona kind of indirectly confronts Avery about it here, like a- Verona starts shit stirring her, and then it kind of pivots to them actually talking about the real problem, which like, that's why I love these three because Verona can start being passive aggressive and realize what she's doing and actually talk about the problem. Um, but Avery doesn't quite get over it, you know? Mm. Yeah. Avery, it still feels like there's some stuff unresolved from Avery's perspective at least. Or, I mean, it doesn't feel like Verona's response is okay. I've forgiven you. So let's move on. And Avery kind of can't just accept that because there still feels like there's tension between them. Yeah, or she still feels like she's done something wrong and she hasn't made up for it. Like, you know, it comes back to this, how do you make it up to someone? Whereas, like, Verona's just, like, the impression we get from Verona is Verona knowing that Avery feels bad and won't do it again is, like, enough for Verona to be like, cool, that's fine. Mm. Um, whereas Avery's just like, oh, no, I need to make up for it somehow. Mm. But, um, but yeah, she's taking that badly. Uh, Jessica ignores her hello, um, which again, it's like, you know, I don't, like, Avery shouldn't be taking that personally because, like, with what Jessica's, like, about to go through, it's like, of course, she's fucking, like, stressed. Mm. Um, maybe it's a bit rude, but we've already seen how she's kind of been hollowed out by the ruins. So I was like, Avery, you shouldn't be taking this personally. Yeah. Um, and then she's fretting about the fact that Sheridan still hasn't gotten back to her about, like, scoping out how her parents might react to her coming out. Yeah. Which. It's been about a day, so I'm a little bit on the fence about whether, I don't know, for me that's in the grey area of is that enough time to expect an answer yet? Mm. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, we, I kind of understand why Avery's kind of freaking out about this a bit, because it is just completely no response from Sheridan since. So yeah, it would be nice for Sheridan to just sort of write back as like, Give an update, Sheridan, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Give an update. But, um. I don't know. Also, it's been like one day. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like this is just like really highlighting to us that Avery feels like she's getting very anxious again uh, as this school goes to the shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Sheridan will get back to you eventually, Avery. Just uh, chillax. Um, so uh, something fun that gets confirmed here is that Yadira and her crew have been asking around about the Kenneteers, which mm-hmm. is explicitly something that Verona I mean, it's threatened. She threatened them if they did that. Uh, so I look forward to seeing that threat come to a head at the risk of Verona being gainsaid twice. I mean, this time and the Bristow time. 
Yeah, this is starting to become maybe a bit of a pattern for her. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later as well with yeah. the, the Shelly stuff. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I think she did actually sort of promise to handle them. Um, yep, she did. This. So luckily that's vague enough that, you know, there's, there's you know, room to handle them peacefully. But uh, that'll be fun. Mm. Um, I also, again, I love this bit where uh, Nicolette starts talking to them and they say they're gonna, they want to remain neutral. And Nicolette's like, uh, neutral? You mean against Alexander and Bristow? And Lucy's like, yeah. And Nicolette's like, I don't know that such a thing exists. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, I feel like the summary of Arc 6 is the Kenneteers being like, we're going to be neutral, and everyone else being like, no, you're not. Yeah, I mean, they're not, right? It feels like they're very much in Team Alexander right now, whether they want to be or not. Yeah, I mean, they say they want to be neutral, but they're going to help Alexander with a ritual right now. Like, how neutral can you be? But especially because, like, Alexander is trying to get them on his side, whereas Bristow has already kind of given up on them. Or Bristow like has already rightfully recognized that they're on Alexander's side. Yeah. So, he knows he's I not going to win I, that. I'd love for them to prove everyone, including me, wrong and actually end up being neutral and, like, overcoming this bullshit, but I mm. just don't know that it's possible. Mm. Yeah, in fact, now that I think about it, I think Bristow explicitly isn't trying to get them on side because I think he probably suspects, one, that wouldn't work, and two, it would give them an excuse to seek more neutrality, where it's probably worth more to Bristow to have them be assumed to be on Alexander's side. Like, you know, if they're not going to be on Bristow's side regardless, it's better for Bristow that everyone thinks they're on Alexander's side so that there's, like, more division going on, right? Does that make sense or does that not make sense? No, it does. It does. It does. Um makes alexander's side less unified right yeah yeah exactly like if someone is on alexander's side and is kind of not i don't know yeah anyway um here's a fun bit brie who we haven't seen in a long time comes back and the first interaction she has after having not seen her for for ages right is she kind of reaffirms her thanks to the kennetiers for how much they helped her and just brie you're awesome i love you brie you're a champion yeah well the context of this is she basically is like uh, I promise to, like, owe you one. And, and you can kind of decide on that. Just try to be fair. Yeah. And the Kennedy is like, uh, isn't it dangerous to do that? And Pree's like, yeah, but, like, you know, how are we going to make the world better if we don't start with each other? And I was like, yeah, well, yes. Like, yeah. Um, Great work, Pree. You're saying, a champion. Yeah, the Kennedys keep going out. and They don't defeat their enemies. They help fix them and make them better. Yeah, they recruit them. I, it's awesome. I don't know how they can do that with Alexander and Bristow. I feel like this is finally the time where we won't just get to improve our enemies. Yeah. Like, so far, th- this story has just been the Kennedys turning their enemies onto their side. Like, first it was Nicolette, then it was Zed. Um, like, uh, I don't know where we're going to go with these three, but it's just like, I just love watching these three go out and make the world a better place, and Bree's proving it right here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bree, you're a champion. <laughs> Not much more to say. <laughs> Um, I, I also want to point there, there again. There's a bit where Nicolette uh, sort of says, uh, "I think if you put Verona and Alexander in a room for long enough, they'd end up great friends." Mm. Uh, and and Lucy freaks out a bit, <laughs> a bit about this, but I was like, like, because I think like we talked about this like a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, how I thought Alexander and Verona kind of shared that that love for the practice and for the systems and figuring it out. Mm. And I think that's what Nicolette's talking about here. And I think we'll talk about Alexander and his motivations uh, at the end of this ritual. Mm. Uh, but I love this as like a, just a little reminder, like as much as we hate Alexander and Bristow, they're still people and like, they're not 
cartoon villains, right? Like there's like Alexander's this dickhead. I, I suppose we'll get into it more then, but it's like Alexander's a dickhead, but that doesn't make him like a hundred percent terrible all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I'm more willing to say that with Alexander than with Bristow. And every time I start to think something nice about Alexander, I remember Nicolette's interlude and how careful and yeah. cautious she had to be about counting her days and how fucking creepy and terrifying that shit was. Like, Oh, no, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's a good person. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I, I guess, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to get at, like, maybe dehumanizing him as a villain, like, isn't helpful mm. or, I don't know. Mm. Let's let's get there, and I'll be clearer about it when we talk about uh, after what Shelley does. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so yeah, the ritual begins, and it seems to be working really well, actually, before it is interrupted and disrupted by Shelley. God, I was mm. fucking furious when this happened. Like, yes, me too. Um, holy I don't think fuck! I've been this mad reading a book, like ever. It's <laughs> I legitimately. This is the worst thing, like the most frustrating <laughs> thing. Uh, it's so Jessica has been so clearly this is her one purpose, and it's fu- like it's it it has work it is working it is about to work, and then Shelly like just two seconds away, right? <laughs> two fucking seconds. exactly, and Shelly just comes in and fucking ruins it for nothing. There is literally she has no reason I, like it's it's actually just i mean i don't even think bristow told her to come and do it he just sent her to deliver a message and she just incidentally decided to fuck fuck this up and like it's the <laughs> what's the opposite of endearing somebody being endearing because like i i'm ready for shelly to go down i'm done with her you know like irredeemable to me I mean, yeah, I was to say after this, I was so fucking mad, and and, and I want to I, I want to talk about that, like as we sort of touch on what she's like. But um, I mean, to focus on the positive of this ritual, like how fucking cool is like the lead up, like, and, and I think like all of this setup is just used to make it hurt that much more when it fails. Yeah, but like, yeah. like all the setup, we get like the recap on how it's going to work, all the potential problems, how we're prepared for them. Uh, when we actually start the ritual, Zed kind of does this dramatic like you know narration where he's like and now we turn on the machine of the past and it does this and then we turn on the machine of the present and it does it like it's yeah it's so fucking dramatic it's like straight out of like you know fucking doctor who or something yeah um it is yeah it was brilliant and it, it's going so well and it's all just used like every it's this well-oiled machine we get really excited on board with it just to have it taken away at the last second uh it's the worst so well written um let's ask the question then elliot how much did alexander see something like this happening jessica's reaction is obviously that he intended or foresaw a possibility of this happening to get her on his side against shelly slash bristow he does refute that fairly concretely i think but i don't know what do you think my first instinct when i was reading it was like oh i bet alexander saw this coming and he's fine with it. but like the more I read, I've I've actually changed my mind. I I think he's genuinely didn't well. He genuinely didn't see this coming. He's genuinely pissed about it. Um, and what I want to kind of go back to is, is like all the way in Alexander's opening speech at the school. Mm. So this is like four point four mm. or something. I think we kind of like ribbed on Alex a bit because he he gave that part of his speech where he was like, you know, I just love working with other people and like like work as part of a team and connecting with everyone and we were kind of like yeah so you can control them or whatever mm. um 
and I like I don't think that's a hundred percent wrong, but I, I I mean I think he's telling the truth. Like I think, you know, he's got that Verona in him. Like I think he was genuinely excited to be doing this ritual because this is the shit he lives for, which is getting a group of very different practitioners together to work in harmony to do a fucking crazy powerful ritual. Like and he talks about this with Jess. He 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 does sort of say, like, you know, I I'm having fun with this. Like this is what I want to do. And like, don't let that take away from the seriousness of what this means to you. But like, you know, he he is having fun with this. And I think it's like, you know, he's still kind of being a selfish dick, but in like a good mm. way, like a helpful way. Like Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's um I don't know, he 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 feels like he is using his selfishness for the good of the people. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or it's like I don't know. Like, yeah, like with someone like Alexander, I think this is sort of like the situation where I, I'd almost be willing to say it's not selfish because he's just so excited for the concept of this ritual that I think he actually is willing to do Jess a favor and, and like help do it just because he wants to be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, maybe that's not the best motivation because I don't know like how invested he actually is in Jess reuniting with the cousin as much as he is in winning, but like. Maybe while that's not the best motivation, it's not the worst. Um, so yeah, like I mean, this is sort of where all that stuff with Alexander comes up. Like I think what this is showing is like you know, with, even with someone like Alexander, there are ways to have them work as a member of society, and and he's doing all this other shitty stuff when he's on top. But I guess it, it, rituals like this are that kernel of hope uh, for me, I suppose, that we can get him to be less shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's. Uh, again like it's been so weird reconciling alexander since we got to the blue heron institute with the alexander from beforehand and it proves how easy it is to slip into that practitioner frame of mind of of biases you know yeah yeah i mean yeah he's still doing a lot of terrible stuff but um i don't know there's a kernel of a person in there and we just need to get it out to try and fix him i don't know yeah i mean like like the victim here is obviously like jess like we should talk about how I think Lucy is the one who's like bang on the money where she's like, like, I think the thing that really upsets Jess and causes her to like not talk to anyone is it's like she against her better judgment decided to let herself trust the system and trust Alexander. Yeah. And that's what she's mad about. And like, Lucy's the one who brings this up. Like it's not about the goal or the target. Like everyone else thinks it's about the fact that she was like, okay, I will do it. I will trust you. Like I I don't want to, but I'm going to, I, I will make myself do it, and she loses, and it isn't Alexander's fault, but it is, and it, uh, uh, yeah, like, I mean, you know, and this whole thing is built up even in the ritual, like, we see the echo of her cousin, and the echo of her cousin is getting, like, beaten down by the system, like, like these police officers are fucking disgusting in this vision, and so it must have been, like, on Jess's mind that, you know, the the colonial system is, like, built to be against her. Mm. And then just as she's maybe going to get something out of it, it all gets taken away from bullshit that she's not even really involved in. And it's like, mm. well, I'd be fucking furious too. And she's like, I want to attack Alexander. I want to attack Shelly. Like, fuck all of you. And I was like, yes. Like, I, I can't blame you for thinking that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. <sighs> she, I mean, the real reason she's pissed is just, yes, she thinks Alexander has something to do with it. But the fact that she's being sucked into this against her will. The fact that it's just, you know, like she has nothing to do with this fight, but it is r- rippling out and she never wanted anything to do with the school, but she had to come like it's, it, so many things just out of her power leading her to here. And it's just shitty. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, I mean, Avery kind of makes this connection to to herself, um, and, and we'll see what she does with that. She chases Shelley in a minute. Yes. Um, so yeah, uh, Shelley causes a ruckus uh, and delivers a message to Nicolette before leaving. Um. Yeah. So, quick side note. Apparently, if if Bree gets knocked out or whatever uh, was done to her, uh, little hungry choir kids just yeah. Pop out. Was that um, like a defense mechanism from her, or was that like a bit of her guard dropping and hungry choir leaking yeah. out? Yeah, I think I think when she got knocked out, if it was if it was like the binding got smeared, I think you know just a couple of little hungry choir kids pop out, and uh, she manages to to poke them back in. But, yeah, uh, they seem to be under her control at least. I don't know about under her control. I think when she touches them, she can suck them back in. But like, oh, I see. Uh yeah. I mean, this this yeah. feels like a bit of a Chekhov's gun type <sighs> thing, right? Where it's like, okay, now we know that uh, hungry quiet kids can pop out of Bray. The problem uh, with the story, though, Elliot, is there's an entire Chekhov's armory just waiting to be used. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> he's just set up so many. Wildbo has just set up so many Chekhov's guns that there's. I mean, some of them are going to pop off at some point, right? How could they not? Yeah, it's uh, Chekhov's fucking that room from the Matrix where they're loading into the Matrix. Uh, yeah, Chekhov's that exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah. So but, uh, the Nicolette thing. Yes, the the, the Nicolette whispering is is right uh, again. Another Chekhov's something. I don't know what. Um, like it's clearly setting up and and reminding us of Nicolette's various allegiances and her intentions to betray Alexander and all this stuff that uh, is uh, theoretically going to come into this part of the story as a re- uh, assisting in resolving the Alexander slash uh, Bristow dispute. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I feel like the read is uh, it's something to do with her coven. Yeah. Bristow knows about it is, is he, you know, getting leverage over on her somehow from it or something like that. I mean, this is just so performative, like the way, like, yes. Bristo must have known Alexander was here. So, again, like, whenever we see anything, I'm like, well, it too obviously casts doubt on Nicolette. So it can't be, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm starting to suspect Chase more and more as, like, mm. especially if Nicolette's now getting wrapped up into it because she's technically Chase's apprentice turned Alexander's. I don't know exactly who she belongs to now, but there's almost a, a competition for claim of Nicolette between Chase and Alexander. Yeah. Um. And maybe Bristow is getting his helping chase in that. I, yeah. I don't. I don't fucking. Mm. It, it's definitely like we need to find out what was whispered to her because this is yeah. I think juicy so. Goss. It's it's definitely something juicy. Um. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So yeah. Uh, every chase is after Shelley, seeking to confront her for this uh, senseless, meaningless cruelty that she has just inflicted. Um. Yeah. There's just. I mean. Shelley is just not human anymore, right? Like <laughs> to me, she has given up a key aspect of her humanity, which is the the ability to to interact with people. Basically, is what she's given up. Uh, seemingly, she cannot uh, anybody trying to reason with her. She instinctively will go the other direction, and I don't know what to call that if not a be- a bare animal behavior. Uh just so on our discord pointed out that uh it's very verona's dad behavior um interesting okay i mean yeah he's a piece of shit too um <laughs> uh, yeah just that way because especially it's verona who kind of gets shelly very yeah, quickly yeah. and you know verona is the get things quickly person but like also yeah just so sort of pointed out like 
like Shelly is in some ways similar to Verona's dad of just this inability to cut a deal with you and like hold on to it and and commit to it like she <sighs> like uh I think yeah unwilling to be reasonable or equitable is sort of how it's described it's like well yeah that's Shelly and Verona's dad uh, yeah maybe less intentionally so but uh yeah I mean god yeah I I, I think, yeah, it's interesting. So, like, Shelly is this bright eyes, like, as the anti-fairy, she's someone who will kind of refuse to make deals because, mm. um, like, fairies do a lot of that. But also, I got the impression she hates anything dramatic, like, which mm. is, obviously, like, that's very fairy to, to, to relish the drama, which is, like, why probably Shelly was so easily able to just disrupt that entire um, bloody ritual. Yeah. Because it dramatic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um Oh god, it's the worst. I like okay, when we first met Shelley, you know, we had this vibe that potentially her attachment to Daniel was her driving force, right? Um and maybe it does drive her, but honestly like all she seems to want to do is just be the worst. Like <laughs> I don't know. She's she has she is worse than Sharon Griggs. She is the professional of what Sharon <laughs> Griggs is the amateur at, which is just being a piece of shit, right? Like that's just true. But it's interesting because they like they even bring up there is like an exception to this. Like as much as uh, Shelley is going to be unreasonable and undealable, mm. uh, she does care about Daniel. Yeah, and she does uh, like work for Bristow, so it's not impossible. Um, well, I don't know. Yeah, I, like again, I don't want to dehumanize her in that way. Like it's mm. it's the same thing I've been talking about with Alexander and maybe even Bristow. It's like there is still person in there somewhere and you've got to think about that is I, there like, though is the question yeah I, I think her relationship with daniel is is the proof i'll hold on to for that like she is still capable of caring to some degree we haven't seen any firsthand her caring about daniel all we've seen is people saying we do that hear she about does. it a lot but yeah you're right like people saying her she cares about daniel could literally just be somebody desperately everybody that knows her desperately trying to hold on to some semblance of humanity that she doesn't have like hmm. legitimately we don't know that that's a thing uh yeah yeah i, su- I suppose it remains to be seen i i'm willing to believe it just because we're hearing it from so many sources but you know what we heard a few um, times elliot that uh sharon was clem's best friend do you think that's true no but we were only getting that from one source and that's <laughs> sure sharon. sure okay yeah um, um i don't know Anywho, but, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, sorry, I, I, before we move on from this, I just want to quickly mention as well. Like, I love how this is like. So this is the point where Avery starts to lose it, and she sort of ties this to her own stuff a bit because, like, she relates to Jess in so many ways. Yeah. Um, and that's what causes her to start to lose it. And uh, and the like the, the, the part of this I want to talk about is uh, Verona steps in as our de-escalator uh by putting herself on the line. She's like, Avery won't do anything. I swear. Mm. And Avery like looks at her fucking like Oh yeah, as you on. would. Yeah. Um and I can't I can't decide if I think this is like a brilliant play or not. Mm. I'm interested what you're cuz it's like it I mean it works. It does exactly what Verona wants it to do, right? Yeah, but like is it a shitty move or is it like it, Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a <laughs> it's a slimy little move for sure. But she stops Avery doing something she would regret. Mm. like i don't know like i i can't make up my mind on this like it is it is shitty but it's also like it feels right to like i think like putting verona like verona putting herself on the line in this way 
forces Avery to like reevaluate and mm. maybe that maybe in a way that's not fair, but like that is something someone needed to do. Because mm. like, you know, we end this chapter with Avery like moving her hockey stick charm away from her reach. Like mm. her, her sort of last thing in this chapter is she thinks this is becoming a war. I need to keep my weapons away. Like so I, I view that as her kind of regretting maybe what happened. So Yeah. Her not wanting yeah. to fall into violence. Yeah, so I, I yeah, I really go back and forth. It's it's certainly a bold strat either way. <laughs> this is the craziest thing Verona's done since about two chapters ago when she threatened to handle Yadira and Co. Mm, yeah. Um Yeah, I mean the war's popping off, right? <sighs> yep. Yep. Uh yeah, I mean, I can't wait. It feels like the the second half of this arc is very is going to very quickly start to dissolve, and I I look forward. And I'm uh, so dreaded. Yep. Um. Yeah. So, putting aside the war for a moment, we're diving into a textbook. Hooray! <laughs> Woo. Uh, yeah, we dive into our domain textbook, learning the basics of domains and how they function. Yeah. So. I just want to open up by saying like just how much I've enjoyed getting this entire trilogy of, of books. Like we got one for each of the sort of big three rituals. Um, all three of them have been like the size of a chapter as well. Like it's been three weeks of Wildbo basically writing three chapters, which is just insane considering how big and good these chapters are. Yeah. Uh, yep, so yep. I mean, I, I guess I just want to say I'm thankful. It's around yeah. Thanksgiving time in the US. Yeah. So, so I'm thankful for Wildbo putting in so much effort to give us these, but also take a rest. Is there a thing called Canadian Thanksgiving or am I making that up? Yeah, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago, though. I think we're too The late second Monday in October. Well, thanks, Wildbo. We appreciate you. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Yeah. But to us as Australians, Canada is basically just half half america anyway so halfway between <laughs> canadian and american thanksgiving is appropriate yeah. time well it's actually australian thanksgiving today don't yes. look it up yeah exactly um, that's a genuine is. real thing yes <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so back to the the domain book specifically yeah. which we should talk about yeah. um I, I something i wanted to call out as interesting is it's a very like we get the cover of each of these books yes and the domain one is very like mossy and kind mm. of like naturey Natural. Yeah, natural. Yeah. Um, like it looks like it belongs in a swamp. Yeah. Um, and I just found that interesting because I, I actually would have expected like a a Victorian architecture book or something, you know? Like mm. a, like like you know, we see another book refer to domains as a manse, like which feels like another word for mansion. Yes. Um so uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm interested in how organic this uh this cover is. Yeah. Interesting. I I think that's interesting as well because I it's weird. A domain is like has such weird implications in terms of, and I guess this is why it's so natural. As like and this is one of the first things discussed in the book that it's like um, uh, one of the hardest to to pin down the origins of this ritual because it's the idea of sanctuary is something that's so like inherently you know exists in the world amongst uh, sentient life. I guess. That the concept yeah, well, of a domain it, is just a natural thing, emerging thing. Yeah, isn't like um, shelter like one of the top things in the hierarchy of needs or something? Yeah, in old Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, is that right? Like, like, yeah. I thought, I thought shelter and safety was like right up there. So yeah, like, like you're right. It's such an intrinsic part of the human experience. Mm. Um, it's just funny because like if you view domains as like 
and we'll get to this, like, you know, a practitioner claiming a part of the universe for themselves. Like, the parts of the universe claimed for humans are generally, like, the most developed and, like, concrete, like, literally, in both meanings of the word concrete. Um, so, yeah, I, I've, I don't have a explanation that I like for why it's such a mossy, naturally book. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The covers to these books have been great, haven't they? Just great work mm-hmm. by Waba. Um, so yeah, but again, before we dive into the book, one, one other thing to note, I feel like domains, we've heard a lot about familiars in this story. We've heard somewhat about implements. I feel like domains we haven't heard that much of. Like we know Alexander's domain, which we saw in Nicolette's interlude. We know about Ray's domain, which we saw in, uh, it was Ray's interlude or Zed's interlude? Ray has interlude, Zed's interlude. Yeah. Uh, and also just like in the classes, right. Right. True. Yes. Um, I guess that's the closest we've come to actually seeing domains in this story, but I feel like we haven't seen that much about them. I don't know. I, I'm trying to, again, like, there's not, Wildbird's not just going to dump information on us because it's interesting. It is interesting, but there's also presumably reasons for why everything's happening. Um, yeah. And we'll I'm trying to, to think about why this text is here, other than the fact that it's just the third in the series. I, I, <laughs> I guess something I thought is maybe Kennet is kind of like a domain and maybe there's some parallels. I had this thought when I was going through my notes at the start of the book for the second time, but then like nothing really jumped out at me. So I don't really have anything to continue up that thread. Yeah. Well, I think if I I suppose if you take that core concept of what a hallow is and and compare it to a domain, they're not totally separate. I think the domain feels like a a distinctly different, like higher level hallow sort Mm. of thing, but like Mm. there's similarities there. Um, I, I agree, I think, within the concept of Pale, um, or within the context of Pale, uh, I, domains are the ones, even if we saw Alexander's and Ray's, I felt like I had the least understanding going into this of what that meant. Like, like you know, going into implements and familiars, I sort of knew what taking an implement mm. or a familiar meant for you. And and mm. that got expanded on. Yes. But, um, like, in, in Pale, all we had seen were those two domains, and so within pale i was like oh okay like what does having a domain actually mean actually tangibly mean yeah exactly like we only had vague hints um yeah there's definitely points to this like you know we're about to go through all these examples and like i couldn't help but like pick the ones that you know felt like they were the examples that were closest to alexander or bristow uh or um ray and try to like think about what that meant i can infer about their domains Mm. yeah um yeah did you have any inferences well one of the things i talk about with uh domains that are similar to alexander's like it's specifically kind of an augury thing where this this person is looking out yes through their domain and when somebody fires back it ends up dealing them a much more crucial blow because it's a blow to their domain, domain. as well as themselves. Yes. yeah um so the the domain within that context which is hopefully similar to alexander's is uh it's a blessing as well as a curse or it's a curse as well as a blessing. Like it gives you more power, but the flip side of that is it's a much bigger weak spot. Mm. So like if, if Alexander is using his domain to feed all of his shit that spies around the school, that's a potential vulnerability. Mm. 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 Yeah. True. Um, you know, that nettle wisp that the Kent put in their room might fuck up Alexander's domain at some point. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess we'll see um yeah cool uh okay so yeah the 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 first part of this domain text or i guess the majority of it is 
yeah. uh, the text going through different schools of practices and how these different schools of practices may be impacted by or impact the domains of their practitioners, basically. Yeah, and what I love is like how these categories are like very different from the categorizations of practices we've seen other in other places. Like it's, you know, this is a this is a world where you don't just put things in categories. Like this book looks at practices through the lens of where does your power come from and what do you do with it. Yeah. Whereas that's different to like the the familiar text was very much about how you relate to other things. So it divided it divided the practices up differently. Um, mm. And I, I think that's really cool. Like, you know, if we if we sort of view the domain as an an, an analogy for buying a house and setting it up as your sort of safe space um, that you also have to use for a home office, then it's like this is sort of saying how you shape your office for your work. Like, you know, like mm. if you're if you're um, somebody who does a sort of practice where it's useful to have power batteries, you get those. If you're someone who needs a clean workspace, you get one of those. If you mm. need it as a meeting room, you get one of those. Um, it's kind of a shame that most of these practitioners can't just seem to use it as a house. It has to like work into their job. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Like you know, to to go back to the Lucy thing, I like if Lucy were to get a domain, I'd want it to be a place where she doesn't have to think about the outside world. Yeah, like it needs to be a safe space for her. Whereas most of these are kind of like ways to enhance your practice. Whereas like I think Lucy needs one where she can just go in and kind of take refuge her soul yeah and, and like uh you know re-empower herself before she re-emerges to fuck up all the dickheads i mean interestingly we kind of see that that's how a few of these domains start right um yeah. but they always become something more over time for these practitioners uh i think if, if lucy made a domain for that purpose that's how it would start but it would morph into something else and that that's where it would be interesting to see where it, what it turns into yeah, true, true. Um, I, I mean, let's get stuck into it. I, I, I really like the vibe of the conjuration domain stuff. It give me, give me real Pokemon vibes. Um, if you're a practitioner that specialises <laughs> in conjuring others, you can really easily conjure, bind them, contain them, summon them, all using your domain. It's cool. It's like a little uh, PC in Pokemon. Um, <laughs> we also got information on a Yu-Gi-Oh duelist. He's a deck of monsters, and and their domain is their deck of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Again, <laughs> loved it. You know, I want to see more. Um, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, like all of these examples are amazing, and I mean, this has been true of the entire trilogy yep. of, of textbooks we've gotten. Like, it's just yeah, these almost mini short story examples are always so fucking fascinating. Like. I think there's one that just starts talking about like uh, somebody who binded like uh, part of the clockwork of the universe into something or other, and I was just like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, um, yeah. Like, and it's as we already said, it touched on. It's fun to then try and take these examples that we're seeing and tie, try to tie them into uh, the ones we know about, like Alexander's or Ray's. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I, I do want to call out there's one example which teases us even more on the Oni. Like, speaking of things Wabo keeps dropping in chapters and teasing us with, we learn that the Oni have waged war on the practice itself. Yeah, I loved this because we find out that the Oni are basically like people who have left behind the conventions of the practice, not people, you know, others, who have left behind yeah. the convention of the practice. And it's like, oh shit, they, these are definitely plot relevant because we're trying to change how the practice works. Like, potentially Oni are 100% on board for that. Yeah, like, yeah. I hope I hope we stop getting teased with this and start actually getting the deets. Um, 
my my gut instinct is to tie this into like the rise of communism in the east mm. um like post world war ii mm. uh as like if if you view capitalism and the status quo as the system uh which is right. what the practice is like that maybe you know the practice side of of the red tide or or whatever the fuck I, i'm terrible at history um yeah was like these these others kind of fighting against the confines of the practice which um which makes yeah. only then uh anti-capitalist and 100 percent the heroes of this story i mean i'm not disagreeing <laughs> um yeah uh it's worth pointing out how many of these stories end badly for the people involved, which is just great. Like, yep. I mean, it wouldn't be a, te- a practice textbook if it, if about 50% of the examples didn't end in kind of fates worse than, worse than death kind of things. <laughs> so great work deciding to become a practitioner, Kenneth Tears. I'm sure it will pay off. Yeah, the, the horribleness is just so enmeshed in this world, they clearly don't even notice it, do they? Yep. Like, it's just... This is a book you're meant to give, like, teenagers, teenagers or something? Yeah. yeah. It's a book you're meant to give them as a, here's all you need to know. Like, it's not that I get no impression that this is meant to be used to ward people off of becoming practitioners. Mm. Yeah, it's just kind of like, at best, the author kind of throwing in some potential pitfalls, but it almost just felt like they just liked talking about the whole example. Yeah. It. Yeah, It's. it's not for any like ethical purpose of warning people it's just yeah. for the holistic kind of uh, satisfaction of the author giving all their examples yeah just the education of it yeah um i i like the structure of this how it's like you know the title of the school bit of general info on it some examples on how practitioners in the school gain their domains uh more explanation on how this school tends to affect affect domains and then like you know a a a, a you know, example, a, a continuation of the previous two examples that demonstrates that. It's a great way to, like, again, gives actual stories while tying it to the information being imparted. It's just great. Yeah, you're right. It's like this two step process where the first half is kind of why and how a practitioner gets a domain in these schools. Yes. And then the second half is how they use it. Yes. Um, and I, I like that separation for kind of making us think about, like, you know, and this is something the end of the the excerpts we get here today really reinforce which is like it's not a ritual that's done when you finish the ritual this is like an ongoing investment is the final line um yes it's a like lifelong what, investment yes yeah um and and that's like that's sort of what we're getting here is it's sort of like okay this is sort of how you do it but then we also need to call attention after that to like how you use it and what you do with it yes yeah exactly um so yeah, uh, then we get this third chapter, which relates to practitioners who already specialize in locations, e.g. finders and other types of realms-based practitioners, and how the domain can be an incredibly powerful tool for them. Yeah. And like, this is the part like I've loved following, as we've gone through Pale, learning about how the cosmos of this universe is put together. Um, I, like, I think we've talked about it before, but like I kind of view all these various realms as like projections of the human subconscious or, or, or conscious. Um, and then it's like carving out a domain is sort of a practitioner stamping themselves into that uh, uh, that sort of, um, I forget the word I'm looking for, but you know, that sort of mess of, of reality and sort of saying, this is my part and it moves with you. So like a goblin mm. practitioner will find that their domain kind of moves through the cosmos closer to the warrens and that might be good because then that gives them cheaper access like 
I mean, it's hard not to tie this part to Avery and think, hey, Avery, get a domain that you can tie to the paths. And it actually well, talks about using them as like escape hatches and stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, this is what I was thinking. Like, again, tying it back to why are we hearing about domains? And also the earlier question of how do we have each Kenneteer get one of the three? Maybe the fact that this chapter is so much longer and talks about how it's like additionally useful for, for realms practitioners like avery as a finder to have a domain is is signaling to us hey avery is the one who should have a domain i mean potentially even <laughs> it will allow her to what improve her abilities as a finder yes but potentially even let her like retrieve miss if things go really well like could who knows what it could do for her yeah i mean that does seem well that jumped out to me as an option as well like totally like it doesn't let you bend the rules because they, they talk about like being able to keep your domain near you while you're in yes. paths as a bonus room. And it's like, okay, go to the path that misses on, put her in the bonus room and like, and then yeah, get her home. Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see miss having issues with being tied to someone's domain. Like if her yes. going in there ties her to it, uh, that'll be a big no, no for her. Um, I, I mean, something else like I consider a lot of stuff is like, do we know what happens to a domain when you die? I'm not sure we know because like, I look at something like Kenneth and I think, okay, let's say Avery's like, I want to do a domain. I've got to get miss. So I'm going to take like this house as my domain. Yeah. We, we got that example in this chapter of the person who's like helping fight off the economic depression spirit from their village. And one of the things that was mentioned is she kind of tethers her domain to all the other domains of the deceased people yeah. who held the role beforehand, which implies that there's still some presence of the domains in the world. Like it's not like, they completely vanish, right? Yeah, and because this has got to be one of those things, like like Miss talked about this a lot. Like the as, as immortals, the others have to be really careful because, like, like you know, for someone like Avery, she's like, oh, if I take this chunk of Kennet as my domain, I can like help you out, and then the and, and then the Kennet others will be like, yeah, but then for the ten thousand years after you're dead, we have to deal with this fucking part of our town that is yours and we can't touch or something. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, does it? Does it? lose its attachment to the real world or is this still going to be this chunk of the real world that is a domain that they can't use properly yeah because that, like, that's not a sustainable system like you know 10 gen 10 generations of avery's kids down and they've got half the town as their domains or whatever yeah um yeah i don't know that's the questions that this text is raising um and we'll have to see how it starts playing into the actual story to see how it uh you know comes to fruition yeah um because there's one there's like a final small chapter which is like talking about like how you dress up the thing and it's like yep. this is the part chapter three was kind of the hey avery should maybe consider this chapter yes and then chapter four is the kind of verona should probably not consider this yeah because <laughs> it's basically a whole chapter on how you need to put work into this and it's constant and you can move power around but it's all about management and constant investment and i was just like oh like literally how we would how we were introduced to Verona in 1.1 was, I hate housework. Yeah, and this is literally working on your house. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the end of the chapters for this week. Uh, but before we go, we have a discussion question uh, that we want to raise. So leave your answers to this in the discussion thread. The question we want to talk about is, now that we've heard uh, more about each of the big three rituals, rituals uh, the question we want to ask is, for you, Dear, dear audience member, which do you find the most exciting or interesting? And why is that? You can write about which you'd want to do if you want, write about which you're most excited by. Just an excuse to, you know, discuss uh, 
these three rituals in context of yourself in a bit more detail. Yeah. Yeah. So which all of the three rituals do you like? Yeah. Which all ritual we'll call this question. Um, if you have answers to that discussion question, you can leave them to the discussion in the discussion thread, which is linked in the show notes down below in your podcatcher. Yeah, uh, you can head to doofmedia.com to find about find out about the other shows on the Doof Network. Our episodes are getting longer, but that's no reason for you not to listen to the rest of the network. So yep. go there and, and, and check out all the other shows. Yeah, uh, especially What You Say, which has just kicked off their discussion of Season 3 of the OC. And is going strong. I'd strongly recommend it. Yes. Uh, and a reminder about that Doof and Chill that, that we're going to do this, this Saturday where we read out that OC spec script with, I think it's like Scott, Elise, Matthias, and Matt. Uh, yep. And be there Scott, as well. Elise, Matthias, Matt. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yes. Yeah. That, uh, I think maybe some more, but we'll see. Um, maybe yeah. some special and, guests. <laughs> and then there's uh, patreon.com forward slash doof media, uh, which you'll remember I predicted everyone would go there, so please do. Yep. Um, well, you already have to. That's the rule. <laughs> uh, there's actually, you know, we've got that bonus content on Patreon now. So at our $10 tier, uh, just about every week, you get uh, an episode of some sort of bonus uh, show. So there's uh, other levels of the tower. If you like King Slingers and want to hear Matt and Scott talk more uh, Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got our own one called The High Ground, yep. uh, which comes out this Wednesday, actually, episode two. Can I just say as well, this the recording we did for this episode of The High Ground is the most fun I've ever had in a recording session. And I really do think that will translate to a fun episode. I hope it does, because it was really genuinely delightful recording. It, it, it's been a very fun show to put together. I've, yeah. I've been having an absolute blast. Yeah, it's been so a real it, blast. In, in The High Ground, we're going through uh, the Star Wars prequel series and kind of turning a moral slash critical eye to uh, the world of the prequels with my sister Georgia as our, as our third host. And yep. it's, um, it's very fun. Those, those movies are wild. Yeah. It's been great. Um, while you're on Patreon, why not head over to patreon.com forward slash Wildbow and give Wildbow some money. Uh, if you're not sure where to find some money, make an Alcazar out of your wallet, go inside and grab whatever's in there and then just uh, hand it over to Wildbow. I think that's how it works. Yeah, you you figured out uh, a life hack for the mm-hmm. practitioner world. Infinite money. It's an infinite money exploit for practitioners only. <laughs> uh, cool. Cool. So with that, we'll, <laughs> we'll see everyone uh, in a week. See you, uh, folks. For uh, probably more cutting class. Yeah, let's cut those classes. <laughs>